0: It's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination, full of features that help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex. Weights, Morph, or other keywords, and use our Buy It Now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the Marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad. It also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buyer and selling? Use shipyourreptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animal successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptile successfully, live customer support, and our live, on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit TheReptileReport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder. Then visit ShipYourReptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related.
1: Python radio, uh and tonight we were supposed to be doing a venomous episode but our good Until. friend Scott <laughs> Scott is under the weather and he won't be able to make it uh to the show. But fear not, uh, we have rescheduled uh in the future with Scott and uh we will definitely make sure that we hit on that uh venomous stuff. I think that would be a cool show for sure, something outside mm-hmm. of the box different from the norm. But tonight we're talking carpet pythons, my personal favorite. I don't know how well, Owen feels. Uh, well, uh, no, I'm
2: indifferent. I mean, I don't know why I'm part of this show. But it's, <laughs> it's weird because it's like we got the cancellation, and I'm like, oh, all right, so it's going to be me and Eric tonight. And like, it's almost like you heard my thoughts because you were like, no, and you like, th- this is what happens when it's your day off because then you went like sideways, and you had within an hour you had the show that we're going to do planned, ready. You had people signing on, and I'm like working. <laughs> So every so often I'm checking back to see what you did. I'm like, well, holy crap, never mind. It's like, you know, okay, I guess, all right, so we're doing this now. So it was like, so you were you were off to the races today. I don't know how much coffee your wife let you have this morning, but Jesus
1: Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, when you get one day off a week, which is what I get, then it's kind of like you have to do everything within that day, so it's like nonstop, you know.
2: Everything non-stop. must be done quickly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was kind of like, I'm like, uh, well, me and Owen, you're going to talk, but you know what? I I I have a goal. Um, after talking with Keith, um, mm-hmm. you know, last week, um, and I felt that was a really, really good show, and I want yes. to make sure that we keep delivering content like that, you know, and not just like uh, every once in a while, it's good to just have the two of us bantering. Right, back right. Back. Yeah. We're you and I
2: are the B grade. We don't know who's <laughs> to talk. So. Yeah. If we can delay you and me actually having a conversation, um <laughs> well, at least in the off shows the air. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. At least <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so uh
1: so yeah, so I've been wanting to do this anyway. It was a show that I've I had in the back of my mind because uh the uh, uh Riley uh Jimson and uh Terrell, uh Ziegler, um he put together they put together this site which I thought was, was pretty cool. I mean there's a million Facebook groups out there. Um uh, mm. so some you know, just about carpets, some about Morelia, some about Morelia and whatever speech, different some about pythons of the world, some about <laughs> yeah.
2: reptiles. Oh yeah, there's throw a rocky yeah. hit twelve. So
1: But this one in particular stood out to me because it was called Carpet Python Discussion Board. And it kinda you reminded like it. Me, yeah, it kinda reminded me of like it had like the old m t day type of feel of, of of discussions about, you know, how people keep and breed and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and not that they don't do that on the pick of the week, but um, I don't know. this I guess because it, I wasn't, in, like, running it, so I could just oh, yeah, we don't know what the,
2: yeah, we, look at it. <laughs> it's, like, you know? it's like you and I have the conversation where every once in a while, like, you and I have been to snake shows where I'm not vending, and it's like, I don't know what to do. Like, you've seen me wander around not knowing what to do with myself because we're there for a certain amount of time, but I don't have a table to check in with. So it's like, all right, now what? It's much more relaxing and much more enjoyable when you don't have to do anything. So, yes, yes,
1: yes. so much so true. So I decided to get those two guys because they're the guys that started it. And um, Stephen Katz, who we had on – Show before um, he mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, he 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 uh, participates in that group uh, an awful lot, and um, I thought it would be cool to have those guys. Deshaun um, was supposed to—I don't know if he's coming or not. Um, that's still up in the air. He was uh, a last-minute one. I always like talking with him, you know, mm-hmm. uh, carpets and all the crazy stuff he has going on over there. So we'll wait and see if he's going to chime in. But I've noticed that a lot of newbies are coming into carpets. And, you know, I think that uh, it was funny, I was reading the one post, and they said they punched in carpet pythons on Facebook, and only one group came up. So, you know, it made me start to think about how fragmented, uh, you know, Facebook has made the reptile community. And if you're not exposed to this, and, you know, you might not even know
2: that the
1: podcast exists. And, you know yeah i um, uh, it
2: we do kind of shoot ourselves in the foot by going by the latin so um, <laughs> i mean we have to wait for people to be learned enough to know the latin to type that in to find everything so yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely anyway. uh you know that's <laughs> I, i'll I'll forever be beating that one but you know it, it is what it is uh I, I think something's wrong with the site too. I, I don't know like if you go on there you can't click through the pages and you can't, you know, I was uh-huh. trying to research and I, I I'm the one day it's just all like uh, some kind of funky HTML text and you can't really it's I don't know but, I don't know if down or or what but
2: I don't know either. So, so great.
1: Um but um, we have, like I said, we're going to have those guys come on and, uh, we're going to be doing a round table discussion about, uh, basically our, we have some husbandry topics some breeding topics, some morphs, uh, topics and, uh, some community and the hobby side of things, uh, type topics that we're going to hit on. Uh, hopefully we can get through them all. Um. We we shall see. These guys are new to the roundtable, so I thought that they would give a different perspective. They're sort of like uh, newer guys, I guess you would say. Whereas most of our roundtables in the past have been guys that have been doing this even longer than we've been doing this. So true, uh, you know. Uh, so and I thought that been they about
2: would weird, get weird obscure species too. I mean, we had the Chandra round roundtable, the Bolens roundtable. I mean, we we've, we've had a carpet roundtable before.
1: Right? Oh yeah, we've had a few. Of yeah, we've uh, th- we, had. I think we this is number four. We've so many <laughs>
2: episodes, I don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> what we did last week.
1: So. Yeah. So um, yeah, I uh, I what do you call it? Um, you know, as far as what's going on with me, actually, first let's hit on this. Did you see the O'Leary? Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Gavin. Gavin Bedford, uh, he was able to uh, get another clutch of Owen Pelly pythons, which is uh, which is a huge accomplishment. Uh, so, it congrats! And,
2: and aren't congrats. the babies aren't they gorgeous? Like the the way their heads look, it just it looks the snout looks so much longer than it should be. It just it makes it look so much cooler. So, I want some. <laughs> so, in, in closing, I would like some. So they're, they're, they're such cool-looking animals, and it is such a major success, and people kind of don't – a lot of people are like, oh, that's cool, but they don't realize that this is like the beginnings of establishing a captive population in Australia, which is the beginnings of establishing a captive population that lived near that pit, and then establishing the captive population that live on the other side of that pit, which is in Europe. So yeah. it's slowly going to start creeping its way. I mean, this is how – Rough-scale pythons started. This is how a lot of animals started, by one or two pairs that were breeding successfully and that eventually started coming. Now, how the Owen Pelly pythons will leave Australia, I don't know. Um, They may go through the course of zoos. They may go through the course of private collection. They could get put in a bag and driven over to New Guinea on a boat. But, you know, (laughs) there's many different ways. But it does mean that now they have been successful captive breedings that it's only a matter of time now, that matter of time may be a couple of years, but eventually we will see uh Owen Pelly Pythons for sale in the United States. It may take th- I think so. It may take a you, very, you, very long time.
1: Do you think King Horn I will be here before the uh owen pellys
2: no one no one wants King Horneye no one wants <laughs> King Horn, <I>. no one <laughs> some there's some people soul, uh, there's no one. I know that right now there are people screaming at the radios that they want King Horneye. Think about it before you do it. Do you really want that animal?
1: Oh, it's so cute when it's a you know young baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what we're talking
2: about. Didn't we have you know, it? Wasn't that like our first thing we can't get off our minds is how horrible scrubs are? And you want to take yeah. one the size of a retic? What the hell yeah. is the matter with you? No, no, yeah. nobody wants King Horneye. But Forget
1: that. you can't have a you can't have a complete. Australian python collection, unless you have King
2: Horn Eye in there, you know. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that'd be the one that kills you. Yeah. Yeah. But now, I imagine King Horn Eye will eventually get over here as well. I don't think there's that much of a push for them. Because, well, I mean, aren't there already King Horn Eye in captive populations in Europe? Yes. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder how difficult easier. they are to breed. They've got to be as difficult as normal scrubs, if not more.
1: Yeah, but remember, the southern's are typically the ones that are the easier of the scrub complex to breed. So true. You know. But
2: I've never seen a king Horneye versus a southern. Like, you know, I I had well, similar. Uh, yeah, I know they're similar, but I've had southern's and they've actually been kind of the more gentle. But then I've had like jays and other ones. It seems like the Jaya's were more psychotic. So I don't know where the King Hornet kinda land in temperament wise.
1: Well so from what I understand I kinda... I'm, I'm not hundred percent um, I'm not hundred percent when it comes to what actually was going on, but I kinda remember um uh what's his name? Uh right. Daniel Touche talking about the fact that he believes that there might be two species of scrubs up in the Cape York peninsula, because you have the ones that are Morelia King Horneye, and then you have Morelia Amethystina, which would make sense because that would be similar to what you're seeing in the Southern scrub, you know, like what we
2: call Moroccan. The whole, the, whole, the whole scrub complex needs to be reworked, but now you got to find someone who's dedicated enough to redo it. I mean, you know, and that's, the hard part. So, you know, there's like, and there's all the talks of a ruse and things like that. But either way, I've never had interactions with King Horneye. Um, I've never really talked to people who've had uh King Horneye, except I think Casper had one or two, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't either. Anyway, it was like, I, I, I thought he did. But either way, it's like one of those, I've never experienced how maybe high strung they are or flighty, because that could definitely hinder the breeding and stuff like that, so I'm not sure. But either way, if they're already in Europe, if somebody really wanted to, I bet you could get a pair of King Horneye shipped over here. But they're probably going to be a pair of adults that have been through several hands. It uh, reminds me of the um, what, the, the the huge ones that Dave Means had. Biox. Yes. Right? Yeah. He had those huge yes. Biox that were brought over as babies, went to Tracy Barker, went to a few other people, ended up with him, and a couple people along the way got locks, but they never got eggs, never got babies. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, now the the King Horn Eye, they're probably over in Europe. There could be some that are young enough or were kept correctly enough that could be breeding. Um, But... Most of them, I assume, would probably be like that. Beaks—they've changed hands so much that it's almost impossible to get them to breed now. So, but either way, you could still probably—if you really wanted King Horneye, you can get King Horneye. We're talking Owen Pelly pythons, where there's only one guy that has. Them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like that. It's like I would figure you would say, now will will Imbricata be over here before Owen Pelly?
1: I don't know. That's a tough one because, from it what is? I
2: understand, they're
1: already here in the states. <gasps> Gasp! I just don't know who it is that has them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, blind.
2: Blind.
1: I just, I don't know that's who it such,
2: is. So, lies. Uh, know, I have them all. I've just have been keeping <laughs> it from you.
1: That's literally that's have the, a rack of them. Yeah. That's the whispers and things that I hear about that that they're they're already in the states, but yeah, I don't know, that, I don't know. That, how, yeah. I don't have that backed up by any facts.
2: Yes, but those are the whispers that you also heard. Was like I heard everybody under the sun bought themselves a pair of panthers when that all happened. So you know, how can you can can the whispers be true? Can the whispers be not true? So you know, I heard that Paul had all of them. I heard Nick had all of them. I heard you had a pair that you were hiding. I mean, like. (laughs) And, and that was the funniest thing is when someone came up and told me, "You know Eric, there. I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> <So it's> like, <laughs> yeah, because I wouldn't tell you. <laughs>
1: you would I, I would tell random would person yeah, on Facebook. You know, yeah. you tell
2: that guy before you told me mm. and Matt and Zach and everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I I believe that. So you know, it's one of those things where it, it, it the chatters chatter is chatter. But I would believe that there might be an imbricata, a pair of imbricatas or something like that, floating around somewhere in the U.S. So,
1: yeah, I mean, to me, that's that's my pinnacle Australian species. That's for I me. When, I'll be good. <laughs> I'll be good. Those in silver pepper inland. If if I'm ever lucky enough to be
2: able to work with see, them, that, then that's uh, the other one where it's like people are like, you know, I hear silver peppered Inlands are coming over. I'm like, I don't know. Let me uh, message Darren and see what's going on. Like no, no, has all of them. There are none. There are no in Australia even has them. unless he lost a <laughs> few. It's like, this, oh my god, Owen, this whole tub's thing. Well, shit. I mean, no, it. Yeah. it, 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 it there's that. Those aren't. Will those eventually get here. I hope so. But that is a different thing because where Owen Pellys could eventually come over because they are a really cool, rare animal that could kind of make its way through a zoo route like the rough scales did a little bit. The only thing that's really cool and interesting of a silver peppered is that it's a morph of an inland. So zoos never put morphs on display normally. No. no. So can't really do that.
1: You know, know, the the crazy thing is that um, maybe in five to ten years, uh, that yeah. might be legal to export from Australia. You never know. I mean, please, I think, God, let that I happen. think that they, uh, I think Australia is missing out on a huge amount of money that they could they, be getting. Man, they really you know, They are. could like, put it into conver- Crunch
2: the numbers, like you know that it has to be from a licensed breeder in Australia shipped to a licensed breeder in the U.S. I mean, do that math and tell me what the hell would show up on your doorstep tomorrow? I mean...
1: Yeah, yeah they would...
2: Uh, they would. They
1: could take that money and, you know, I mean, they could tax it and put it back into conservation. And, I mean, just think about all that, you know... And... Woo!
2: Zach would, would <laughs> so get a box, like a box of skinks. Like, color. it would have everything yeah. in there. Like, Selling we're talking day. single bags. Oh, God, it would be... It would be a rainbow of skinks and it would be <laughs> yeah. a box. So, oh yeah, I mean that would be that would be so cool. I mean, there's also different other types of lizards, geckos, blah 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 blah. That everyone works with. I mean, I know monitor guys that would like shoot themselves if now lace monitors became uh, prevalent and able to be imported. So that would be awesome. Yeah, it would be. It would be, be, be nuts, for
1: sure. So, uh if
2: you're over in Australia, work on that
1: so. <laughs> so before we get the uh get the guys on and we get going here um I wanted to tell you before before I came onto to the show um yes. i i I had to go to the vet, yep. So I wanted to uh hit on my uh experience with this, so you know share the the good and the bad and the ugly and all that so I think yep. what had happened with me is uh you know so a little bit of back history real quick. Two years ago, poison ivy had a clutch. Well, it's two Mm -hmm. years now. Poison ivy had a clutch, and um, when she laid, all the way up to when she laid, she was fine. Um, She went on maternal incubation. I had her on for a week. Uh, Everything was fine. She came off the eggs. I noticed that she was kind of wheezing a little bit. Um, uh, took Took the eggs immediately from her, put her in. Put them in the incubator, raised her temps up, you know, and it knocked it right out. No problems, no issues, she's back, everything is good. Um, you know, last year, um she didn't breed, put her down in the same room, cold, no problems, no issues. This year, um I put uh I started to drop the temps. Now it was kind of funny with especially with the IJs because they're kinda of, they're kind of a they're kind of the finickiest of the carpets, I find. Um, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think it's just they're, you know, they're not, I guess they, they're not really, I, I don't know this to be true actually, because after talking to Daniel, they may experience temperatures that are on the low side, but it, se- it seems that, you know, uh, carpets that are further South in Australia and on the East coast and whatnot mm-hmm. are, uh, you know, experiencing colder temperatures that may, that means that they're a little more resilient when it comes to that. Um, so anyway, dropping the room down, so my room goes down to seventy degrees at night uh for breeding season. basically, I leave a hot spot on, but the hot spots maybe I don't know, maybe it's like 75, 78, something like that, just in case mm-hmm. you know they would they wanna be a little bit warmer, or whatever um and you know that's that morning time I leave heat the way, you know the same way it is all year round. 80 to 82 ambient, uh, 85 to 87, maybe hotspot, uh, depending on, um, you know, uh, if it's an IJ or if it's, you know, a diamond Python or a right. diamond, I should say, cause my diamonds aren't in the room anyway. Um, hmm. so I put them together. Uh, so I had this tiger IJ. That came from Mike Curtin. And this he's thing is huge. huge. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, it's
2: humongous, you know. He's big, he's big for some coastals. I mean, like, he is a yeah. big, big guy. And so. it's not
1: even like he's really, like, long. He's just girthy, girthy he's as hell. Yeah.
2: Anyway,
1: uh, I put him in there with her. Locks, everything is good. Everything's going good. But what I, I did notice this, and I, I did react, but I didn't react fast enough. I did notice that he would be on the hot spot. Now, typically when I have carpets and they're mating, I find that they're laying on the hot spot together, you know, at night.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they're coiled together. The hot spot, yeah. They're coiled together off of it. But regardless of wherever they are, they're coiled together. And I noticed that their temperatures when they're doing that, you know, when you shoot them, are a little bit you know, higher than what the ambient temperature in the room is. Um, anyway, uh, he's on the hot spot, she's not. Um, so I'm thinking that when the temperatures warmed up during the day, he would probably hog that hot spot, and she was yes. not able to get her, you know, her or ambient. Or she was uncomfortable I mean, her, laying
2: all around him. I mean, it's a it's more of a comfort thing if they're cool with each other. They will lay all over each other. But if he's forcing her out or if she doesn't feel comfortable taking the hotspot, like I have a male right now that's hogging the hotspot from one of my girls and he's leaving that cage tonight because uh, to be uh, I'm not memory. even going to put up with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's, and he's such a big – he's a much bigger male than her. So yeah. that's why it, it it may also be just a sheer – because um, that male, it was in with a female that was much bigger than him, and they were totally fine sharing everything. So it might just be a size and being comfortable around each other thing. They're comfortable enough to mate, but they can't cuddle. What's up with this craft? <laughs> yeah, uh, so
1: I'm thinking that um, this led to her being stressed, you know, yeah. whether or not it's because uh, he intimidated her out of there. Maybe her size intimidated her altogether. Um, right. You know, but they did lock several times, so... You know, I don't know. Anyway, I kind of hesitated with it, Uh, hesitated longer than I should have. Uh, Last week, I go and, uh, you know, I'm going through and I'm feeling the females to feel, you know, what's going on, if anything's building or whatever. And I noticed that she's kind of wheezing. Now, you know as well as I do, like when carpets are going to shed, they kind of get this... You know, they yeah. breathe and right away, like especially they newbies get all will be like,
2: "Oh my god!" <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, crap. And then like, it's almost like you look at it and you're like, "All right, if tomorrow you're blue, I will not freak out." But yeah, if you're not blue tomorrow, and you know what, albinos, it, it, ghost scares the crap out of me every time he's going to shed. Because he gets all lumpy and he gets all wheezy, and I'm like, "What's wrong with you?" And then you don't catch the blue, and he just looks weird, and you're like, "Oh my god!" And then he sheds, and I'm like, "All right, well." So yeah, it's annoying.
1: Yeah. So, so um, so anyway,
2: yep. Uh,
1: I I, I pull her out, and I'm kind of looking at her, whatever. And you know, you're going through, and you're you're kind of listening, and I'm kind of holding her, and I'm like, "All right, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not that." And all of a sudden, I see the lump under, it. It, under the throat. I see the bubbles
2: yeah. in the nose. I'm like, ah, oh, damn, it. you know. And, and you the feel the gurgle, feel the gurgle halfway down with their where their lung is. Like you can feel it rumble in there. Yeah. So, yeah. so
1: immediately I pull him out. I check him out too.
2: He's fine
1: That's can be. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so I separate. I separate the two. Put him in his cage. Her in her cage. Uh, but I raise the temperatures back. I gave her. You know, I took it because typically that's what I do and. Sometimes if you catch it early enough, you're able to sort of do it. And uh, after Corrective. speaking to the yeah. vet tonight, that's kind of the, the route that they kind of take, you know, before mm-hmm. they go and give medicine and whatnot. And it, it's not too bad. Uh, they'll just tell you to, you know, change change what's going on. So anyway, mm-hmm. Um I go, I take her out, raise the temperatures. I can't get a, a vet appointment for, like, four days.
2: Uh, yeah, so. because the, the vet you use is uh, Dr. Adam Denish in yes. Elkins Park. And he what he, he goes to use a reptile vet and various other animals. He pings back and forth between two vet offices, as well as he's the lead vet at the Elmwood Park Zoo in Norristown. So he goes, like, between three yeah. places. Just trying to peg that man down... He's hard as anything. So yeah. yeah. Also
1: he told me tonight when I went there that he just came back from a trip to Brazil. Uh that <laughs> yeah. he was uh, working down in Brazil. So that was pretty cool. Anyway. Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, okay.
1: yeah. yeah, I uh so I get to the I get to the vet I up her temperatures and it seems that she's not she's not gotten any worse but she's still, you know, I took her out earlier today to see if she still had it. She still kind of had that, you know, sort of symptoms. So I take her to the vet Uh, she has a slight R.I., nothing that he's too concerned. Mm -hmm. Most of the, uh, like if you looked in, when we looked inside her throat, um, it was, uh, wet towards the back, but there wasn't like a lot of mucus. There wasn't bubbles coming out of the mouth or the, or the, the trachea or anything like that. Um, you know, so everything was good there. Um, slight bubbles coming out her nose, but nothing too crazy. It wasn't like it's constant really active, which was a good thing. Her eyes looked good. Everything was good. Gave her a shot. Basically, I have to give her a treatment for the next week or so, and uh, he said that, mm-hmm. that she should be uh, good to go. A couple of weird things. One thing that he noticed right away that I thought was really cool was um, the fact that her two nostrils
3: <laughs> are completely
1: different sizes. And I know the you picture, that I, out, yeah. I, the, the picture <laughs> that
2: I put out... the such
1: a The picture that I put out... You can't really tell. I'm going to have to take a better picture of it. But her one nostril is super small. Now, whether or not that, you know, would lead her to, you know, if she has a breathing issue, then it becomes worse automatically. Maybe. Knows, you know what yeah. I mean? But it's just just weird that, you know, and uh, the, it was weird because the inside of her mouth is black. Mm-hmm. It never really looked like in the inside. I mean – I've looked at my other carpets, and they're not black, which was weird. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like a purpley-black, um, which is what she's supposed to look like. Anyway, um, long story short, she's good. I definitely don't think I'm going to get a clutch out of her this year. Um, he kind of felt some follicles in her, but, you know, I'd rather have her than her lay. Than the babies, know, yeah. oh. So, She's kind of out of the mix for the year, which is fine, because next year she, you know, she'll be going to one of her offspring to see, you know, if anything
2: and, is unlocked. It, but, yeah, and maybe next year you can, like, maybe next year you'll only take her down to a certain temp to try to get it going, and there are ways you can kind of, you know, adjust what yeah. you do to try to be better for that. So, yeah, it's, it's a whole learning experience. but Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely.
1: But uh, yeah, so good times there. Um, I'm just <laughs> No, no, not good times. <laughs> well, no trip worked, to the vet you know. is good.
2: Yeah, oh well, yeah, true.
1: So, no. um, let's see. I think we're just waiting for Steve, but um, I guess we can get these two guys on here and let's get going. We got Terrell. We got Riley. Um, what's up, guys? Oh, somebody sounds like Dr. Hello. Wind
2: tunnel. Hello? Oh hey. God.
1: <laughs> hey, what's up guys? I got we're just oh, waiting gosh. for Steve to call in. You know, we'll we'll chat with you guys until uh Steve's ready to go. Okay, so, cool. Uh, since Terrell, you've been on the show before. Um you have done your introductions and whatnot, so we'll hear from uh from Riley and uh here was we'll, we'll uh skip you. Yeah.
2: Forget you, <laughs> All right. you sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess Riley, why don't you tell us, you know, a little bit about you, um what got you into carpet pythons and what your focus is with carbon pythons.
4: Right on. Um yeah, I I started kind of leaning towards them a couple of years ago. Um I've always kept reptiles ever since I was a kid. And then I started working at the Santa Barbara Zoo almost four years ago. And, uh, I'm still there working as a reptile keeper. And in, you know, in my spare time, I wanted to do more stuff on the side and, uh, started working for a guy who had just a collection of carpets and he got me hooked from day one. Um, after that started going to shows and helping out with uh, a local pet store and seeing a lot that was out there and I was already keeping rainbow boas and uh, I found crebos pretty early, but then carpet pythons really just blew me away with their, uh, their size variation. And I, I kind of like the challenge with, uh, learning their behavior. So they, they drew me in pretty much right away. So, uh, I haven't looked back ever since. um, I started just kind of getting a few things of everything and then seeing how everybody was focusing on certain directions and a few people screwed my head on for me and kind of helped me uh, get that picture and and kind of tighten things up and prioritize. And so I'm kind of leaning towards most things with stripes, but um, Mm -hmm. stripe jungles, lots of tiger stuff. Um, Tony and I have, you know, brainstormed kind of fantasy-like about, uh, you know, seeing what some stripes thrown in granites with Tiger. I mean, who knows? Just I just want to see stripes. <laughs> yep.
1: It,
2: you can't go <laughs> wrong with stripes. You really can't. I like this guy. It's like, <laughs> oh, well, of course you do. <laughs> so, it's, you know, you've been trying to make zebras striped ever since they popped up. Difficult. Anyway, um, so that's cool. I You can never go wrong with stripes. So, did we get Steve on here, or no? No, nah, Steve is not here. No, no. no he's not uh, in there yet. You want to, all right. Yeah, let's strike well, one. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I'm with you with the stripes, man, because I'll tell you what. If you could get a zebra and you could take, like, the 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 pattern that's kind of, you know, all crazy and whacked out and whatnot, but make it pinstriped, tell me how cool that would be. I mean, come on. That, that, would, was,
2: be, that would be wicked. Uh, all all yeah. Eric wants. Is a pinstripe ball python that's black and yellow. That's all he wants. That's yep, a carpet yep. python. <laughs> that's a carpet, but that's yeah. a carpet python. Yeah, that is a Morelia instead.
4: Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> much more interesting. No, no offense to ball python keepers, I had my phase, but carpets just—that's where it's at for me.
2: There you so.
4: go.
1: Yeah. Cool. So, so real wanna... quick. Before, yeah, go I'm going to ask this question real quick before we we move on and then we'll just start going and, you know, Steve will catch in when he catches in. But, um, uh, my, my question is what led you to start the discussion boards, uh, with, with Terrell? What was, what was the thinking behind it? What, what was the goal? Um, you know, I kept, I kept finding all these different groups
4: online and I was, trying to find forums that were still going and, you know, I noticed some were going, some weren't, and I was kind of seeing a lot of draw to Facebook as much as I hate to admit it. Um, and it was just kind of scattered and there were just all these groups that were like classified and then people were posing questions out of place or people posting things that just didn't fit the theme of the group. And I don't know, I just, I knew there were other avenues out there for places for just putting up random photos or info, but I wanted something that, you know, people would find it be like, okay, this is strictly, or well, maybe not strictly, but definitely geared towards getting out information, asking questions, and sort of thing. And so much, you know, crap that I see on on the internet when it's misguided is just very. It, it, people are being attacked, and I just, you know, it just seemed like kind of a no-brainer. Give somebody a spot to ask questions, post up info, and you know, feel like they can do it without being ripped on by others and I don't know I just felt like that was one thing that wasn't quite out there and Terrell had kind of been working on something a little bit earlier and we bounced the idea off and I think four or five hours later I kind of threw up the bare bones of it and he jumped on cleaned it up and that was it so
1: okay cool, Very yeah, cool. I, I really like the uh, the idea uh, you know what you guys are are shooting for um, and uh Oh wait! Hold on one sec. <laughs>
2: All right, you go deal with that. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Um, Owen. That, yeah, I got you. So that is definitely very cool because I mean, like people do ask questions on the pick of the week, but a lot of times it's the same people answering, or it's not. It, it get it gets buried immediately by somebody who's taken a picture of their zebra facing every known direction in every form of light ever. Um, so it's very cool that like you guys have something now where you can post a question and it's there. And, you know, it, it it's, it's not for showing off. There's someplace else for that. This is for questions and discussion. So it's very cool that you kind of have that. Um, and it does kind of harken back to the old days of uh, Morelia Python. So um, more power to you guys. That's definitely very cool. Um, hopefully you don't have as much problems as we've had with the pick of the week with certain people you know, breaking (laughs) rules and stuff like that. So so far it's been good. Yeah, so there have been days where I've been like screaming at Eric because of the crap we had to deal with. But anyway, hopefully you don't have to deal with any of that. So so far, the only thing we got was that
4: uh, lady the other day trying to sell carpet samples from China. But you know, <laughs> that's that's so weird. Weird. we're we're
3: off to a good start. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
2: that was so weird. It was like zebra pattern carpets. were like, hooray! So uh, get yeah, close. So I I <laughs> kind of
4: I looked at the comments and I realized before being frustrated, this was too funny. So I just kind of yeah. let it go. <laughs> I let it go. Cause so, it was there were some good ones there, and then after it went its course, I was like, all right, enough of this. Yeah. Sometimes
2: you get. A, sometimes the people will throw themselves into the shark tank, and you got to just let it go. Just, just, you did this to yourself. Have fun. So. Yeah.
4: Yeah. For very real. Very cool.
2: Okay. Go it, ahead, Owen. We're ready. Is is Steve here?
1: He is. All right, Steve. Can you hear me?
2: He he can't hear you, but. <laughs> he's he's well, not perfect. All right. -hmm. God damn, I have to go through it. All right, so Terrell, you're first. You, there, with the thing. There you go. Um, You're first with caging, and that is, what do you use for caging for your carpet pythons? What do you prefer, and why?
5: Um, Currently, I use uh, Rubbermaid tubs for all of them. Uh, 28-quart, 32-quart for all of the males. I don't keep my males... Really big anymore? Like that was a goal when I first started, but now I usually keep them <laughs> under five feet, about a thousand. Groups. Yeah.
2: And, Terrell and um, I had the same goals.
3: <laughs> yeah,
5: it's. I mean, all the males I have, they all breed as is, so I just kind of leave them that way. Mm-hmm. And mine's more active. The smaller, than yeah. Them, so. Um, okay. The females I now have, they're all in seventy-two court tubs right now, which are going into one of the... uh, Boa Master makes a a rack for that. I used to have the females in animal plastics 4x2s, but I moved my biggest female to one of these tubs, and she actually seems to be doing better in that. She sheds fine, eats fine, so it's just kind of what I've gravitated to. I like it because it's convenient for me to clean all of them. I just run through. It takes me uh, I am down from two and a half hours to about 45 minutes to an hour. Get through all 40-something
2: snakes now. Very cool. And uh, what is the most important part of your setups and why? Uh, the convenience factor, really. I'm Mm-mm. usually here. I leave for work
5: at 5.45 in the morning. I don't get home until after 6. And then I'm usually working on something when I get home. So, the ability to just go through spot clean or change everything completely, wipe it down. That's now been what I'm more concerned with as time prohibits.
3: It used Very to be cool. more
5: about the aesthetics. and But now, actually, since I've moved all my animals into tubs, I've had no mm. animals get sick. So that's also been a pretty big factor in me changing to that.
2: Plus, yeah. That is a pretty big plus.
0: Okay, very cool. All
2: right, so next on my list is Riley. Um, same question. What do you use for caging for your carpets, and what do you prefer and why? Uh,
4: right now, I have everybody pretty much exclusively in uh, in tubs and racks, uh, ranging from six-quart, 1532s, 41s, and up. Um, just kind of fitting everybody as they can. I've got a few people, or a few snakes, not people. I'm, I'm not crazy, <laughs> I swear. Um, it's all right. Yeah. Uh, right, got you're a
2: most crazy people. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, these guys I treat better than most people. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm actually in the process of uh, staging some adults up into some more four-foot animal plastics right now. Um, okay. I don't want to go too big and I am limited in space, but um, I'm slowly taking over the storage room area of my house. It's kind of this big half a garage. So uh, that'll help, you know, making room for that. So for now everybody's in tubs, but I'll uh, probably have a system where uh, my breeding adults are going to be in kind of larger glass front uh,
2: style
3: enclosures. Very cool
2: kind of like what I'm doing now with my guys. So uh, what is the most important part of your setup and why? Uh, for me, that's, I mean, I I don't
4: ever skip on some of, like, the uh, temperature and, and heat-related things. So thermostats, uh, heat supplies, temp guns, secondary probes, I. I spare no expense on those. Those, to me, are kind of the lifeline for my animals, and so mm-hmm. you know, I'm not – uh, I'm not going to get something cheap that I don't trust. Um, that being said, there are great products that aren't, you know, $500 or anything like that. But I just, you know, I'm on top of my equipment, maintaining them, keeping sure everything's working because I, I can't afford any mistakes and I certainly don't want it to happen regardless. So, um, yeah, probes, temp guns, thermostats, you know, good working equipment is number one for me.
3: Nice.
2: Very cool, and I uh, I like the idea of uh, sparing no expense on the heat and the computer systems because too many people I know kept high-dollar animals in plastic tubs on the floor. Anyway, so let's move on, Steve. Hey, guys. Sorry uh, I'm late. It's all good. We get late all the time, too. So <laughs> sometimes we have whole episodes where we don't show up. Anyway, Um The same question, what
6: cages do you use for your carpet pythons and what do you prefer and why? Uh, Right now I have uh, different cages for everything, of course. My babies I have in a hatchling melamine rack, the melamine wood that I really like. I have adults and sub-adults in racks as well. And then I have my bigger guys, like my bread lie in um, four-foot melamine enclosures. Between all of them, I really like the melamine wood, whether it be a rack or a cage. It mm-hmm. just holds the heat really well. So in summer, you could get away with, uh, you know, setting – I have a thermostat and a timer, so you could get away with um, – Keeping the heat on for a less amount of time, okay. as opposed to my I have a vision uh snake rack that there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of ventilation <laughs> if you guys are familiar with vision racks, mm-hmm. and during the winter it gets very cold and this year here in Southern California, it got um v- really cold pretty fast and I saw that some snakes were looking not so hot, so I had to adjust and uh, move stuff around. And yeah, I don't like I don't like vision racks anymore. I like the <laughs> melamine wood.
2: Okay. So, are your cages all custom built, or did you, or is it one of the caging companies like uh, Boa Master that works with melamine? Uh,
6: they're all custom built. Um, okay. They were built by some. Uh, mike at amazon reptile in uh montclair california Mm -hmm. so he owns a shop he's been there for a while and he does really good work so i had the chance to get cages done by him cool okay and
2: what do you think is the most important part of your setups
6: most important part um a tough one (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. yeah I mean heat would be easiest to say right they need heat Um, but in terms of like efficiency I guess uh, I I like racks a lot Um, it's just so easy to open them up and get into them and clean them Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't know that, that's Sorry, good. guys. No, you're good. no, no, no. no. I'm you're dumbfounded for this one. That's a
2: good answer. Heat is important, and so is getting all that stuff going. So, you're perfectly good. So, definitely very cool. Um, so, next on my list is Eric.
1: Yeah, so, well,
2: yeah, I, uh, yeah.
1: I know uh, we just didn't like vision racks, and I can understand why <laughs> I put it in my room. <laughs> they, they work well. Nothing but um, vision racks. <laughs> I basically use them for pretty much uh, everything at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. I keep my adults uh, smaller, uh, so I don't really have any issues with that. Um, But I have been thinking as of late uh, that I would move some to caging. Uh, I remember when we were at Tinley, there was a place called um, Serpentine Obsessions. I really liked the way their cages looked. Um, Yeah. You know, they had like a stack, and they had these LED lights in it, and I don't know. It just looked sharp. It looked, uh, you know, the thing that kind of always steered me away from AP is just the wait time. Uh, they're yeah. beautiful cases, and you know, I think currently uh, just the fact that space is an issue, um, yeah. you know, it just it just comes down to be more efficient in a rack. So.
2: Well. Um, you remember right across from us in Tinley was, like, Nature's Spirit or something like that? Those yeah. white cages, the white PVC cages that he had. He built them so it looked like a rack, but they were four individual cages, and the that 4 was, like, embedded inside um, the plastic in between. They're gorgeous cages, gorgeous cages. And I would love some stuff like that for my juvie carpets, like a rack that's really just a bunch of little cages. But, um, right. you know, that would be something I would look into if I wanted to do all that. Because so, uh, apparently uh, uh, I saw Evan at the last Hamburg, and he has a whole room of cages that were made by those guys for his bowlings and everything else, and they look gorgeous. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: As far as you asked the question about uh, what's the most important thing in my room um, and part of my setup, uh, for me yeah. I would have to say uh, my uh, the way I have up set up for the ambient heat um uh so my uh you know uh what do you call it rate uh <laughs> i want to say radiant heat panel but it's not a radiant heat panel You're your space
2: <laughs> heater or what do you want here yeah space, space heater, heater oh you know, yeah. <laughs> oh man i love really? it you got uh, space heater confused with the radiant heat panel yeah i know um, we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. talk later
1: Space heater is uh is kinda like an important part of my setup. I found that when I didn't have that before, it made it difficult to keep the room an even temperature and keep the uh you know, all the cages an even temperature. Um uh, so there's three things that I think that really help my room a lot. One, a fan, right? Move mm-hmm. the air. Around, that's very, very important I think. Uh number two is the uh space heater. Uh, to keep the ambient temperatures. And number 3 for me here on the East Coast, especially during the winter when right now it's like what, 2 degrees outside. Um it is. It sucks. The heat the heat <laughs> kicks on and it's really dry heat and uh you know, it's just uh it's really a pain in the ass when it comes to uh especially I find with IJs they they get that white you know, chalky look and they you know, sometimes have bad yeah, the
2: calcium acid,
1: whatever. Man. Uh, it just look like they're dried out. Um, and it makes it difficult to, uh, you know, then you're spraying them and I don't like doing that, but, uh, I use a humidifier. Um, it's a simple humidifier. I put it in the room, I put it on during the day. Uh, it keeps the room, uh, I think a 60% humidity. I don't think humidity so far as like, uh, you know, is, is, uh, i it's, it's weird. Uh, I don't think it's a necessity per se for carpets, but you have to look at your setup in particular. And if mm-hmm. you haven't, you have to adjust to it. So if I was just keeping a carpet, um, you know, as a pet, or maybe if I lived in Florida, humidity, I don't think would be an issue. And I really wouldn't run a humidifier, but for the fact of running the dry heat, I think you really need that in my setup. So,
2: yeah. What like What about you? It's, uh, Oh, it's not my turn. You know, you you're going off the list now. It's I don't know what to do. Anyway, uh with me, you know, my setup is racks for babies and juvies um and for some small males cuz I have the 15 the 5 the 5 to 15 quart tubs, the 32 quart tubs and the 41 quart tubs. And then after that, for larger males and females, I have three-foot cages and four-foot cages, three-by-two-by-two and four-by-two-by-two. For the chondros, I do have the cubes. Um, They're not old enough or big enough to be in them yet, so they're in these smaller one-by-one-by-ones that I have, uh, and they'll eventually move over. Same thing with the rough scales. They won't move over to the cubes, though. They'll go straight to the three-footers. And I think they'll probably live in the three-footers for the rest of their lives. But um, – and then we get into the weird ones, which are the olive pythons, who are right now in 4x2x2, by two by two, and they're moving over to 6x2x2, uh, by two by two, uh, which probably the dimensions are going to be a little bit weirder. They're moving over to those probably this summer, um, and then they'll be in those. So, yes, uh, racks and then cages. So. Very cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. Topic number two is substrate. Um, This isn't something I think that people talk a lot about, uh, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different trains of thought when it comes to that. So Terrell, um, what do you use? Why do you use it? Have you used something in the past that made you move to what you're working with now? Um, And What were the pros and cons? Uh, What made you switch? Or have you always used the same thing? (laughs) he's unmuted unless he muted oh yeah there you are
3: okay
7: uh when i
5: first got into carpets i would use sandy chips and aston yeah and um as i started getting more younger carpets and hatchlings um i was using primarily sandy chips for those and then i was feeding a um, baby that was already difficult to feed, and yeah. as he was eating, he rolled over onto a bunch of dry Sandy Chips and started eating those, too, and basically shoved his mouth full, and he couldn't swallow anything.
3: Oh, and so wow. I happened
5: to find him about ten minutes later, and he, I cleaned a bunch of it out, and but his next poop was pure Sandy Chips.
3: So after oh. that,
5: it's been paper towels. The the entire time for hatchlings juveniles uh for all the sub adults and adults, I was using newspaper, and that sucks uh so I switched uh currently to uh craft paper okay from the hardware store, and I like it a lot better when they spill it um it picks up the pa- uh the water easier and it's not running around in there, and it's easier for me to clean out so. For now, I was thinking about going back to a bedding, which I may do the next time that I have to clean everything out for the adults. But for now, it's mostly just paper. Newspaper is no longer something I'll be using. So it's just gotcha. paper towels and craft paper.
1: So I guess the advantage with the, the sandy chips is spot cleaning as opposed to when mm-hmm. you're using paper towels, you have to sort of clean the whole enclosure type of thing. You know? Yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, it. the trade-off is instead of having the sandy chips, I have to buy a lot more paper towels, but I'd rather that <laughs> than having anyone swallow anything. So
1: so you're the guy that comes into the grocery store and we say, man, what's this guy doing with all these paper towels? Yep. All right. <laughs> Very good. All right, cool. Um, let's see, what else do we... Uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty much it, right? d juveniles, and adults. Okay. All right, let's see what... Uh, Riley, what do you use uh, as far as substrates? Um, For all my carpets right now,
4: I'm just running paper, towels, or newspaper. Um, For boas and other animals, I give them substrate, but uh, I kind of don't like it. I'm really paranoid about impaction and over-ingestion of particles, and it, you know, causing internal damage and stuff. I've seen it way too many times over the years, and it just... It freaks me out a little bit, and um, not that, you know, they can't pass some of it just fine anyway, but uh, the advantage to paper for me is I just run down the hill to the liquor store and pick up a huge stack of unused paper that, (laughs) you know, they're not using, and they're like, cool, thanks for helping us out. I'm like, no, you're helping me out. So, um, you know, it's cost effective, but uh, it does, you know, it does require quite frequent, Cleaning because I'm a little uh, OCD about my cleaning regimen. I'm I'm in there twice a day, morning and evening, uh, before work and after. At the very least, just eyeballing things and um, you know, with paper, I can strip the whole thing, disinfect it real quick with a spray, wipe it down, air it out, clean it, and you know, feel pretty confident that it's bacteria-free. And you know, I've been really fortunate. I I think I've maybe only had one animal with any sort of you know, infection or bacteria-related issue in the last, you know, five years or so. So it's been, I guess I could say it's working, but uh, um, I'm always contemplating going back to some sort of, like, small particle uh, organic bedding that, you know, isn't necessarily prone to molding for at least adults.
1: Right. What do you use, uh, just as a side note, what do you use for cleaning? Like what cleaning Uh, chemical do you use?
3: Where's the
4: bottle of it? I have this um, pet-related scent, odor, uh, bacteria, and microbe spray that uh, I was using this, like, Nature's Fresh stuff. It wasn't good enough. And then I got F10 as well. And then um, I can usually get my hands on uh, on this other pretty hardcore stuff. Um, I can't remember the name of it right now for the life of me, but it's a concentrate. And I dilute it and put it in a spray. and. Right it on. Gotcha. It's nowhere near as good as F10 though.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's see what uh... Steve. How about you? What do you use for? uh... Oh wait. Let's click it on here. Is he on there? (laughs) It's like spinning and spinning and
2: spinning. It's like we we it's like we haven't done this before. You know. Yeah, I
1: know.
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) I don't know why he. All right.
1: Steve, you up? There we go. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, cool. All right, what
6: about you? What do you use for a substrate? What's your uh, substrate of choice? So for my neonates, um, I like using paper towels like most people. Um, I know you guys mentioned about the spot cleaning being easier with other uh, products, you know, like sani chips and stuff like that. I like the paper towel still for the little guys. You could literally see if they eat it or not, which they're not going to eat it.
0: <laughs> um,
6: so I like using that. It's it's very absorbent. Um, even if they – I'm sure everybody has experienced it where – they kind of sit weird or do something, and it kind of bends up, and sometimes they poop partially on the paper towel and partially on the tub. Using uh-huh. paper towel makes it pretty easy to, when you're trashing it, wipe up the tub as well and then just disinfect quickly and you know, either put it in a different tub or back into the tub it was in. Right. Um, so I really like paper towels. And okay. And where I shop, uh, I'm able to get paper towels that are the – the same size as the bottom of the tubs that I'm using. Right. So it works out perfect. <clears throat> cool. Cool. But with that being said, uh recently I've been thinking about doing something like EcoEarth and I had posted somewhere to see if anybody was doing something similar to that because I was thinking of using those little bugs, uh isopods, if anyone's familiar with them and uh-huh. seeing if I could get the isopods um, to kind of eat the poop and make it, you know, clean itself type thing, but I haven't experimented with that. Um, so maybe one day I'll let you guys know about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you want to do like a bioactive substrate type of thing?
6: Exactly. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Okay.
6: That's that's
2: the dream, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is. It's
2: I, I have one going on right now in the Nile monitor cage, and it's fantastic. I don't do anything with them; I just feed them.
6: So, yeah,
2: really? awesome. Oh yeah. So, when,
6: when you say feed them, you put poop in there for them to eat.
2: <laughs> I well, no, I feed the monitors, and they feed the isopods. So it's kind of that little circle there. But yeah, yeah. So I, I I provide poop for the isopods.
6: Yeah. So. <laughs> um. For my juveniles, um, those guys I, I do use uh, everything from eco-earth, newspaper, to pine shavings. I'm constantly mixing it up. Um, the reason being is when an animal happens to shed and it looks really nice, depending on its color, I'll say, oh, you contrast well on this bedding, so I'm going to put you on it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and and that's kind of what what I do. So I'm constantly switching it up. And for my juveniles and adults, like I said, it's the eco-earth, or the adults sometimes cypress mulch, pine shavings, or newspaper. Um, As as of recently, I put my adult jungles on the bleached white Carefresh, and they contrast really well, and it's really absorbent. When they go, that stuff is just like... It's never seen water, so it soaks it all up. Wow. Hmm. And, hmm. and so far I'm a big fan of that. It's it's not too cheap, I don't think. Um, I'm able to get it, you know, in bulk at wholesale prices, and I'm kind of one of those, well, I need it, so don't look at the price tag. It's like gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Grin and bear it. Cool. Exactly. Okay. So that's, okay. that's what I use, and all of those products I like. I haven't had problems with them, and like I said, as, as of recently, I'm using that Carefresh for adults, and I'm a big fan of it now. It Like I said, the animals look great on it, and it's super absorbent.
1: Hmm.
2: Okay, interesting. What about you, Owen? What about you, Owen? For me, um, I use newspaper for everybody. So, and I I mean, I've experimented with other things. I I used mulch for a while and that was cool because it smelled nice. Um, But I, I guess there was, I couldn't get over the small, I got gnats or something that were in the mulch and were driving me absolutely crazy. So we didn't do mulch and I used to work with Sandy chips and Carefresh and things like that at the zoo that I worked for and newspaper just seems to be the easiest one for me, I can get it uh, in large quantities because I've talked with businesses around the area that have like the newspaper machines where mm-hmm. people come in and like buy them or uh, they have like the weekly one. So a lot of them will just, you know, and a lot of friends of mine will just hold on to paper for me and I'll just grab it. So uh, that works and uh, I think it was it's really easy to get in there. You walk in and it's, Somebody's dirty, I can just remove the snake, crinkle all the paper. I use bleach for everything, so I just bleach out the entire tub, dry it out, put new new paper down, and put the snake back, and we're done. So uh, that's what I found to be the easiest for me. Um, And uh, I, I will probably have to think of something, especially when the white lips start becoming a little bit more of age, that mm-hmm. might work better for them, humidity-wise, because that's always a bitch with them. So uh, I'll figure that out when we get further down on the road. I mean, my guys are still uh, juvies, so we got time. So. <laughs> cool. and, yeah, and you, I... what? Uh, yeah, I know you use the unprinted stuff, right?
1: Yeah, I just use unprinted newspaper. I, I've I've messed with multiple things. You know, I've done cypress mulch, same thing. I didn't like the gnats and I don't know. Sometimes I I always felt that that kind of like made me lazy with the spot cleaning and like, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I just find myself, I'm more regimented and I get in there and I clean, I take it out, take the paper out. Um, I don't know if the carpet's like it or not. I usually, you know, to me, I, it seems to be, um, I never see them burrow or anything like that. So the only thing that I do different as far as the substrate is like, because I keep them in tubs. When I have a female that's gravid and she's gonna lay, what I use as a substrate is I just put the entire tub. I fill with sphagnum moss. Um, mm-hmm. I find that uh you know <clears throat> that's the only time that I see her kind of you know get down in there, and I don't think that. Uh, I think it maybe helps them feel more secure, you know, I, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of a thought. Uh, I think it's probably better than going under a piece of paper or whatever. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it makes a difference or not. I, if, if I put in a nest box and it's kind of like, you know, especially with dealing with tubs, you're not going to have, you know, maybe the right size tub that you can get into. So it's in a tub. So why not make the whole tub the nest box? and she can pick right. where she wants to lie. Um, you know, if I was doing maternal incubation, I prefer to have some type of nest box. However, I have done the maternal incubation in a tub with sphagnum moss in the entire tub, so um with no issues. But I don't know. Paper towels I use for um the uh 6-quart tubs that I use for uh babies simply because the, uh, I think it's Bounty Selecta size, are the perfect Mm -hmm. fit for the six Mm quarts. You just kind of rip it Mm -hmm. and stick it, and you're done. Uh, Super simple. Um, But other than that, uh, you know, I use unprinted newspaper. I cut it down the size, and, you know, that's it.
2: Very cool. Yep. I guess the next one for me is, where are you? Would be mistakes. And uh, what are your thoughts on sharing mistakes? I know, kind of, some people will throw up or throw up a mistake online, and they kind of get chastised for it. Um, oversights. And what lessons have you learned from a particular mistake that you have made, Terrell?
3: Um,
5: I think that sharing mistakes is a big important part, just as much as, you know, getting your next cool snake, the things that you have not been so successful with are things that you should share with people that are new or maybe have not seen or heard of a particular problem before. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that was one of the driving factors behind why how we set up the discussion board was we wanted people to be able to talk about this stuff with other people that aren't going to, you know, call you stupid because you did this. Everybody makes mistakes. A lot of people don't talk about them because they don't want to feel that harassment. So, I encourage it. And, you know, when I mess up or if there's something that I can relate to, I'll usually comment if it's something that is relevant to the topic. Um, Right. As far as mistakes that I've made, like, uh, We were just talking about one the other day with um, preventative measures with mites, and I remember one time I had uh, the pest strip that you get, and you you can cut them up, and then it'll take care of the mites faster than spraying them down and stuff like that. I put one that was too big, like a chunk that was too big, that I cut out into a neonate uh, six-quart tub, and the fumes ended up killing two of my neonates.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. All right. I I I actually have made that mistake myself. Oh, um, yeah. So it was at, I was trying to prevent yeah. an,
5: an issue from bringing yeah. in new snakes, and I ended up killing two of my own that were perfectly fine.
3: So yeah, you
5: know things like that. Like people don't think that that stuff can happen, or you know it happens and they keep it to themselves. But it happened. You know I've learned from it. I don't do it anymore, and you just move on with that.
2: Right, and nobody nobody warns you. Mm hmm. Yeah, when they're when they're telling you this simple trick, nobody ever warns you what could go wrong. So Yeah, or you know, you know they
5: they experienced it but they're telling you, they're just giving you the pros of doing it. But they're like, Oh, yeah. you know, for me to figure this out, five of my animals died.
2: Yeah. Jeez. Well, all right. That is a good one. So we'll go to uh Riley. Same question. Well, all right. That is a good one. So we'll go to, uh, Riley. Riley. you there? Uh, can you guys hear me? Yeah, good. Yeah. So, same thing. Um, what are your thoughts on sharing mistakes?
1: I think he's hey, on a delay or something.
2: Riley, I think we're that. on a delay thing, yeah.
1: Uh oh. Hey. All
2: right. Let's get Yeah, Riley, right. you're on we'll... a delay. We're gonna go to Steve yeah. and then
1: we're gonna you skip can't...
2: Riley and we'll go back. Yeah. All right, so Steve, same thing. Um, what about
6: mistakes? Um, I don't have any, just kidding.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
6: I think it's really helpful. Um, I, in, recently I think within the last few months to a year, I saw, in my opinion, Terrell posting a lot of stuff about mistakes and, and this kind of happened to me and it kind of, opened up the floodgates, in my opinion, to kind of talk about it, because it's true, stuff happens, you know, and he's actively posting, and there, there's good and bad about keeping, you know, animals, they're, you're going to get an animal that's sick, that has a weak immune system, and sometimes it's not neglect, sometimes it's stress, um, different things that cause, you know, the animal to suffer. Mm-hmm. And so, talking about it, I think could help save an animal. um I posted just i think it was last night about how I was trying to save time, and I had a pair of carpets together that were um in the same tub for breeding, and instead of feeding the female in her own cage that was empty anyways, I just threw her in a pillowcase and you know tied it up and put it back in the same tub. And, you know, check on her a little bit later, and she had finished a wrap but rolled into the water bowl. And, you know, this is like October, November time when it was super cold, and I freaked. But luckily I saw that she was moving in the bag, and I opened it up. And, you know, she was ice cold. And being, you know, tied up in a bag, she could have drowned in that water bowl, Uh, could have got so cold that she died, or got so cold that she ended up developing a respiratory infection. And that would have been a mistake from uh, me doing that. And I posted it. Um, The snake is fine, but I posted it. So that way, you know, maybe somebody else who does something similar or doesn't think about, you know, restricting a snake to one area, that it ends up in the water bowl or something stupid where it drowns or suffers. Um, so talking about the mistakes Yeah, it's tough And nobody wants to do it Nobody wants to have that name of Well, SBK reptiles made a mistake And I don't want to buy from them Or whatever It, it happens But at the end of the day Everybody experiences something I'm sure if you talk to you know the big names The guys on the east coast, west coast Or central US um, Out of uh, the US Everybody experiences something and mm. talking about it, I think, could really help, and we should do it more.
2: I, I I completely agree. It's one of those things where it's like chastising somebody for coming out and telling you what they've experienced is not a good way to go about it. It's kind of like uh, you're limiting what you could learn just by everybody being afraid to voice their things. So, yeah, Definitely. Alright, so Riley I, you can hear us now, right? Yes sir. Alright, so <laughs> back to you. We've gone this way. So mistakes and right. sharing, what do you think? Uh, I'm all for information sharing, especially if it can uh
4: help somebody out or save the animals, you know, from a sticky situation. I mean, no need to be selfish. We're all uh we're all trying to get somewhere and that's, you know, having fun with our animals at the very least. So why not help each other out in that way? Um, you know, I just think people need to always remember to tune the emotions down. And if you see somebody making a mistake or something like that or sharing something that they messed up on and they're looking for advice, you just got to be delicate about the way you, you know, give people advice if you're going to. Like, if you can't control your emotions and you're going to, like, rage out on somebody probably shouldn't do anything, you know, just, like, stay quiet. Somebody else will get to it, hopefully. But, you know, if you can do it in a constructive way and and kind of influence somebody and the hobby in the general in a positive way, then, you know, I don't see any harm in that. Um, so, you know, we're all kind of – we've all been there somewhere. We've all been a beginner at one point or another. So, you just, you know, kind of keep some perspective on that is my 10 cents on it.
2: Yeah, I would agree. It uh, it, Uh, it really is one of those things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mistakes that I've
4: made and I've learned from, uh, I get impatient, uh, (laughs) especially with (laughs) eggs. Um, Yeah, to me, I start counting down and I get very much in my head. um, Oftentimes, I have to rein rein myself in from jumping the gun because I don't, you know, if I'm cutting eggs or anything like that or parent animals, you know, I always look back on these, like, man, I should have waited a couple more days or a couple more weeks or whatever, or something like that. Um, but in learning from my mistakes, I found that the animals, are, you know, they're going to tell you what they need, what they're going to do. For the most part, you just got to pay attention to all the little subtle signs. And, you know, don't jump the gun as much as I want to say. I think I know what the best thing to do is sometimes leaving it to the animals. You know, they seem to Handle themselves for the most part just fine, and trying to not freak out and stress out a bunch. So, yeah.
3: Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Definitely. Cool. Well, I think my my <laughs> most famous mistake is probably am uh, I success, am I failure? <laughs> 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 uh, uh, that
2: was my uh, my uh, most famous God, one.
1: Heard... Yeah that was fun. now i'm with um i'm i'm on the mindset again i think that um you know i think that herpticulture is held back because people don't share these things i also to a certain extent understand why people don't share them um because there's people out there that uh they can't just uh it's, a lot of people don't have an open mind when it comes to things no. and um you know i i think I don't know. I I just wish I just wish the internet was uh was a little more friendly when it comes to that. Yeah, or yeah. if you just have a comment that, you know, if you want to bash somebody for doing something, you know, kinda of do it behind uh closed doors. I've seen all kinds of things of you know, there's even groups that, that are about this of people making mistakes and being ridiculed and whatnot you know i mean there's some that are egregious uh, like really bad you know and probably that person shouldn't have a reptile um and then there's other ones that you know Is just from somebody telling them something or getting some misinformation from somewhere. Again, like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, when you go and you type in Carpet Pythons on Facebook, you know, uh, what comes up, you know, and whatever comes up is what people are going to go to. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that might not be the right spot for you to go to. And you might get misinformation or old information, um, you know, and I don't know. So and then people, when they have this information, they take it as Bible. And then when some, for instance, you know, if, you know, an idea would be about spraying or not spraying, you know, people literally get in these, you know, internet debates for hours and hours about whether they should spray or not spray, but they're both having success. So I don't understand what the debate is about. You know what I mean? So, um, I think that, us talking about it and other podcasts, radio, uh, I mean, pod, reptile podcast talking about that type of thing, I think has brought to light the fact that for me to keep and for you to keep Owen here on the East coast is different for these guys that are on the West coast. You know, we have mm-hmm. to, you know, take different things into consideration overall we're, we have to go about it different ways because we have different parameters um, that, our rooms are at or our cages are at or whatever the case may be. So I don't know, but like I said, my, my biggest mistake, I think, you know, early on was uh, the fact that <laughs> I thought that all my snakes are going to do maternal incubation and be, and be a hundred percent because that's what they do in the wild and I'm not going to have any problems and I don't need an incubator and I didn't have it ready. And Yeah, that didn't work out too
2: well. (laughs) No, no, it did not.
1: Well, actually, it did in the end, you know, because I did have Owen to bail me out, but...
2: (laughs) Yeah, everything was fine, yeah.
1: And it did lead into backlots, pythons and stuff, but, uh, you know... God
2: damn it. (laughs) Yeah, that's simply so, yeah. But... What about you? Anyway... My biggest mistake would be getting complacent with the heating and computer systems that I have in place. Um, There is something that I think everybody should... uh, There's something where people set up um, uh, their heat systems, their uh, heat tapes, their computer systems, their cages, and then they're good. And what happens is they at least in my case, you're good, and then you kind of forget about it until something breaks, until something goes wrong. Um, You should always check your heat tapes for spots that are going dark or not working. You should swap them out every year or so, Um, and then you should always check your computer systems. Um, I had a Ranco that I used forever, ever, ever, ever. It was one of the first higher-dollar computer systems that I ever bought. And it never let me down. And I went away for the weekend, and the Ranco system tripped and shorted or something went wrong. Long story short, it took my pair of Chondros up to, I think the max was like 200 degrees. Or it was like 190. It was, it was up there. They, they, they died. The Both pair of Chondros, both of them died. So it cooked them up really nice. Um, and it was just through the Ranko being old and me not paying any attention to it. So it's like every so often, I think everybody should replace their heat tapes, check their hot spots. They should, if a brand new computer system's out there, maybe take a look at something old, replacing it, or even just rewiring computer systems that you already have. Um just kind of keep on top of it. That would be my thing.
1: So okay, gotcha.
2: Um,
1: that's uh, that's uh, important stuff. Some some things yeah. that you uh, definitely don't think about for sure. All right. Yeah. Um, let's get on to uh, to feeding. Um, uh, this was something that I saw over on the uh, carpet python discussion uh page and it was something that I've thought about you know from time to time but um when it comes to the idea of utilizing supplements uh with your animals uh Repashy Super Pig um that's a uh a supplement it's designed to uh, enhance the diet of reptiles uh, fish uh, amphibians and birds um it's you know helps with their color and stuff um, I know that uh, Rob Rob Stone uses that. Um, whether it does or it doesn't, not really sure. You know, there's no definitive answer on whether or not it does. Um, but I don't know. What do you think, Terrell? As far as supplements go, do you think it's something that maybe we should think a little bit more about? Or
5: yeah, I'm definitely interested in trying them. I had uh, been talking to a couple people. A few months back, that it started using them. They because it was their initial run of using it. They hadn't really seen any differences in any of their animals, but it's. I don't see the harm in trying it. And at the uh, reptile super show uh, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to Robin Markland. He was at the Rapachi booth, and I had seen some of the products, and so I had taken one of the. Um, brochures and with the stuff up online. So I think the next, over the summer, I'll try doing supplements for all the animals or at least half and then seeing if I see any differences in them growth-wise or anything like that. But, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm interested in trying. It's I Like I said, I don't see the harm in at least trying it, seeing if there's any benefits to the animals doing it that way.
1: Is there any particular... Um product that you are thinking about using
5: not yet i'm still looking around asking around asking questions because for a while i was going to do the the reptilinks too i gotcha made the jump into that either so i'm kind of weighing everything that's out there right now first before i uh make a decision on that
1: I guess I'm going to go down this list since uh, since, since we won't go back and forth, but w- just in feeding in general and supplements and stuff like that, but what are your thoughts on size of prey and frequency of feeding for carpets? Uh,
5: my frequency of feeding is probably a lot different than a lot of people. I feed usually when they're pacing back and forth in front of the enclosure, so that could be a month from now for sub-adults. I don't really have a feed schedule. I used to, and I used to be very rigorous with that, Uh but now I, I personally feel that my animals are better off that way. They're not always eating, and then I'm waiting for them to poop to feed them again. I'm not trying to grow them quickly, so I just, I personally feel that's better for them, and I do it for the bloods, too. I only keep, Uh, The male's at 8, 10 pounds. So, no, you'll never see any of my bloods at 6 feet and 25 (laughs) pounds or anything like that. Oh,
1: wow. Um, Do you Uh, find Yeah, like my... Oh, go ahead.
5: uh, I was just uh, like my two... Well, one of them, uh, the one that I use maternal incubation for, I feed her regularly because I'm trying to get her back up to weight. Not to breed, but just to get her back to where she was. But my other female that I... I just have as a pet. I fed her five times last year. She actually went up in weight, not by much, but she didn't lose any weight, and she's perfectly healthy. And it was just one large rat five times last year.
1: Okay. Wow. (laughs) Um, What about uh, you said that um, you were doing it different um, when you switched up and you started feeding them just as, you know, you would see them wanting food. Did you notice a difference, like, in – did they did they maintain the weight? Did you see that they, they, they seemed healthier?
5: What Initially, was- I, I think it was more I was paranoid because before I used to always – I have, like, a little book of other weights from every two weeks that I would do. So I kind of had to take myself out of that mindset, of doing gotcha. that. So at first I, I felt like they were losing weight, but at the same time the ones that I thought were losing weight were uh two of them had RI so they were losing weight regardless. But now that this year now that I'm not really keeping track I'll I'll do weights every three months just, just to kinda of see if they were losing weight. I haven't lost any any weight drops this year at all. So I think this this coming summer and um going into winter I'll probably do the same thing. I'll just keep them on the right. same regimen. The ones that I want to breed, they'll get fed a little more regularly, but other than that, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And like I said earlier, I haven't had any snakes get sick. They, they're they more active, more alert now, not in a more aggressive way where every time I open it, they're ready for food, but you can definitely see them moving around more.
1: Right. Uh, I would ask this question too because it was going to be, what are your thoughts on cycle feeding, but tied into how you're you're working with your animals? Do you notice um, that maybe they want to be fed more often prior, right? Like pre- right prior to breeding season.
5: This year, yes, I had to actually yeah. stock up uh, on food because now I can see it, and it's funny because before, when I would you know, take rats out of the freezer and start warming them up. You, you uh-huh. see one or two come towards the front. Now all of them. You can see them all do it. And it's it's super entertaining <laughs> to watch. So Huh. There's been a difference activity wise this year opposed to last year. So there is huh. a difference now that a, a complete year has gone by, but I haven't seen any negative effects of it.
1: So they're more or less tuning into the cycle that you're mm-hmm. providing them. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of important. What about You know, one of the things that comes up, I'm sure you've heard it a million times with newbies in the carpets, one of the things they dread, it seems to be especially prominent with jungles, is switching from mice to rats. Um, Have you had any, uh, you know, problems with this or any issues when it comes to the switch?
5: I have. So this year I had 15 babies. There's one that hasn't made the switch from mice to rats, and it's a live mouse fuzzy. That's all it wants to eat. All the others, they did it on their own. I didn't really have to put it on them. I just one day switched from a mouse to a rat, and they took it. Now I have a couple IJs that are older that only prefer rats, but they're both males, and so I I don't I don't really try to switch them. They're of breeding uh-huh. size anyways. So I just right. kind of leave them like that. But all the other animals, I haven't really had that much of a problem switching them from mice to rats. I did the previous year getting babies from other people. I was having a, a real hard time getting them to eat that way, but now they're, they're fine.
1: Gotcha. Okay. And what are your thoughts, this would be the uh, last question, um, as far as uh, a varied diet? Do you think that there's any anything that could be uh, good as far as varying the diet? Do you think that uh, it doesn't matter? What's your thoughts?
5: I think so, because in the wild, you would think that they wouldn't eat the same thing every single time. I mean, there's going to be meals where it's going to be identical, but I think that if you can vary it, if you have the means of doing it, like even now with adults all um, or sub-adults or adult males, I'll, switch, I'll throw in a mouse instead of a their medium rat, and they'll eat it and then go back to eating rats. I've done guinea pigs before. Uh, I did quail once, and then so this year I'll probably, for the adults, do chicks and quails. And right. See if they prefer that more. I was I, When I was doing the guinea pigs, um, somebody told me, oh, don't leave them on guinea pigs because that's something that they really want because it's high in fat, and then they'll want to stay on that. So I haven't done that in a while, but. Yeah, I think varied diets is something that, and that'll also play in with the supplements too. When I start getting to that stuff, I'll probably start switching up uh, what their prey, prey sizes, and uh, what they're eating.
1: I wonder. You know, you just made a statement about how guinea pigs are could be higher in fat. I wonder if that could be beneficial feeding them something like that prior to going into the breeding during the winter. Season. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. For sure. Okay. Cool. Um, let's see. We got Riley. Let's see what he has to say about feeding. Uh, hey Riley. Okay. Same questions. Um, what are your thoughts on supplements? Uh, the, have you ever put any thought into, uh, adding supplements into the, uh, into your diet for your carpets?
4: Um, you know, I, I keep hearing about this rakashi super pig stuff and, and I, haven't honestly looked into it too much, but, uh, you know, if, if I, if I find out that it seems to be at least not harmful and if potentially beneficial, then I might give it a whirl. Um, I currently do not use any of it, but, uh, yeah, I like supplementing my lizards and a whole bunch of other animals that I care for. So, you know, why can't, you know, snakes benefit for it? So I do plan on, um, looking into it more, uh, and yeah, you know, varied diet is always good, so
1: supplements. I mean why not? Okay, so you do you vary the diet now or is that just something you are thinking about as far as uh with your with your animals? Um, you know, I
4: always try to keep it in mind. Um I know with the animals I work with, uh at the zoo they get bored with food from time to time, so it always reminds me about that. Um I mean, yeah, variety is probably something that I don't put, like, the highest priority on for some of them, but um, try to remember it at least once in a while, that's for sure.
1: (laughs) Okay. What about as far as, um, you know, the size of the prey and the frequency of feeding? Do you have any thoughts when it comes to that? (laughs)
4: Yeah, um, so for size of prey, especially while they're growing, I like to see a good solid lump. Carpets can pound food, and they can eat massive meals, and from some studies I've seen, you know, you'll get pretty good growth rates out of one larger meal versus, um, you know, a few smaller-sized meals in one sitting. So when they're... You know, when they're growing, I like to feed them weekly up until, like, two, two and a half years, depending on what they're eating and at what size they're at. Um, typically, around two years or three, um, I'll switch into every other week um, and then into adulthood. I like to go every two weeks, every three weeks sometimes, especially if I'm doing, like, extra large rats, things like that with some of those animals. Um You know, if they're already up to size, and I'm not trying to get them up to size for breeding season or anything like that, there's no reason to push it. Um, Right. But while they're young and growing, I mean, they can handle it. Why not? Feed the need.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Um, What about, have you had any uh, bad experiences with switching, uh, you know, prey items? Like mice to rats?
4: Not... Necessarily, a lot of the times I'll find that the jump from mice to rats can be gradual for a few individuals that aren't the most uh, robust feeders. Like, um, especially in like yearlings, sometimes uh, they're a little hesitant at first. But I like to put on a little show with them. You know, I'm very mindful of how I approach them with that animal if I'm switching them to rats per se. you know, versus dangling the rat or coming at a horizontal, or do I, you know, make it seem lifelike or not? So sometimes I'll pull out the stops to make sure I don't experience uh, too much difficulty. But you now, for the most part, carpets uh, they're they're awesome. I love them for their appetite. That's one of the best things about puzzles. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: uh, that being said, every
4: once in a while, I find you know some of them can get picky, but it's never for very long.
1: And all right, I think uh do you have any thoughts when it comes to as far as cycle feeding? Did you ever think about that?
4: Yeah. Um you know, a lot of a lot of the time with females, I like to give them a little extra as they're getting ready to cool down cuz if I'm breeding them or not, I'm going to slow up their feeding in the winter. So I've got females that are not quite up to size to breed, but um you know, they're large enough to, to handle some fasting periods. And I'm really curious to see if putting them through somewhat of a fasting period to, in the winter, you know, might make them, I don't know, maybe they all see better results in their breeding down the line once they are uh, in the lineup. So I'm curious about that, but I slow it down during the winter for sure. Um, okay. And, and leading up to it, I make sure they get all they feel like, you know, taking, um, within reason. So,
1: okay. All right, cool. Awesome stuff. Let's see what Steve has to say. Steve, what about you when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, we'll start, we'll start at the beginning. What about supplements? Did you ever think about that or want to add that <clears throat> in or?
6: Uh, yeah, super pig. I had posted, I think about a year ago now, um, asking if anybody had tried to use it. I know <coughs> excuse me. I know that it uh it does work for bearded dragons. I've seen animals that were adults or babies just go from, you know, red, for example, from a simple red to a really vibrant red and stuff um other animals, uh other bearded dragons that had yellow in them, same thing, the yellow really started to pop. So I wanted to use it for my snakes, um, but have yet to find a way to give it to them. And that's why I asked how Rob Stone is doing it, because I was thinking I'm going to have to Frankenstein something, you know, pre-kill a rat and uh, slice its back open and pour some powder in there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I, I don't know how to give it to them. The other thing, the other concern and issue is that they don't metabolize the same, but I guess... No reptile metabolizes anything the same as people or mammals, I should say. Right. Um, So that would just be the only concern. But I'm all for particularly Super Pig because I stand by that product. And I don't work for Rapashi, but I I see that it does work. Um, So I'd love to use it. Okay. Something something that I do use currently um, are UVB bulbs. Um, like the ZooMed 10.0s in my cages, uh-huh. uh-huh. okay. and specifically with BreadLaw, I have seen their color really pop um, and, and become more vibrant. Um, I don't believe that UVB or sunlight has anything to do with snake health, but I do believe that it helps with color. Um, from my experience, from articles I've read online, um, everybody who has used it has liked the results of it and I myself like the results of using the bulbs on my snakes right yeah I've heard
1: that I've heard that before uh, quite a bit um, often wondered if it uh, would make a difference for sure what about um, what are your thoughts with uh, uh, you know frequency of feeding the size of the prey any.
6: Um, for uh, babies, I produce hatchlings. I I used to start them on rats because I personally hated the transition of, you know, buying a snake at a sh- at a show, whether it be a fifty dollar uh, pet or a you know five hundred dollar future breeder. I hated trying to switch it over because. I don't know about you guys, but I'm struggling. You guys are talking about switching up the prey and, and stuff. And and my jungles and eerie and jayas give me, give me a lot of uh, back talk when it comes to switching a mouse to a rat. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> so I used to start them on rats so that way, you know, when I try and sell them, I could say, yeah, they're already on rats. And then I found that some of the people that are buying my snakes want a pet and they don't want to buy, you know, a three-dollar rat pinky um, at their local reptile store, whatever. They want to buy a cheap mouse. Um, so now I'm I'm doing mice for my hatchlings. In terms of how often I'm feeding them, I feed them pretty well. I I get mice wholesale, so. I feed them well because a lot of people kind of like to see that color come in or want a little bit of a bigger baby um, to know it's doing well, stuff like that. And a wise man once told me you can't overfeed a growing reptile. After it hits adult size, you can overfeed it and make it obese and shorten its life. But up until that point, you know, in the first couple years in my experience with carpet pythons, you could pretty much slam them with food. Um and I think, as I mentioned in the last show that I was on, um I don't do more than three feedings without them um having a bowel movement okay uh, my My adults once they hit adult size, whether they're breeders or pets um it's it's only a few times a year uh when I had My big bread lie, I was feeding them like four times a year, and they were puppy dog tame, you know. It was a large meal, but, you know, four times a year. And some people cringe, and others that know about snakes go, oh, yeah, you know, they're fine.
7: And (laughs) same
6: thing, not seeing seeing any weight loss. They're not coming flying at me, trying to eat me. They're just happily content with that. Um, So my adults and sub-adults, you know, once they hit breeding size, I don't I don't like to feed them too much except for, you know, females right before breeding season because I generally don't like to feed through uh through breeding season, you know, kind of I like to replicate the cycle, you know. Right. Winter, right. Yep. And that touches on that in terms of cycle feeding. Yeah, when I don't really feed my females during um the cooling process after about November until generally after they lay their eggs.
1: Do you feed the male? male?
6: Males, sometimes. I have like this young axanthic uh, Irian male that I have. You know, he was... When I last weighed him uh, like a week ago, he's 575 grams. And I had introduced him to females probably in October and I was trying to feed him and then he just stopped eating. So I was like, all right, he's done eating. But other than that, I don't I don't feed males. Same thing. I I let them just go through. Okay. Unless they're small. Gotcha. Um and in my personal experience for anyone who may ask how to switch uh some snakes from mice to rats, uh I had Two female Irianjaya's that were eight years old when I finally bred them because they were mouse eaters. Uh huh. And after they laid their eggs, the first thing I offered them was a rat, and lo and behold, they took it, and now they eat rats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that may that may be one way to switch them is just breed them when they're up to weight, and then offer them a rat. Okay,
1: I've heard that <laughs> before. I've heard that with ball pythons too. yeah Yeah. um so what about uh what was the other one what about a varied diet do you have any thoughts on that
6: i think it's it's great i would love to do it if i personally were to do it i would probably do like chicken parts um there's somebody who i saw online i can't think of their name probably one of the mics that's online um they bred their female jungle and they had to get her up to weight feeding her like chicken legs and stuff okay um i would probably do that if i'm going to do a varied diet because that's something that you could get at the supermarket supermarket regularly uh i used to switch it up i had one of my really pretty jungle males that when he was growing up, um, he would just eat anything, mice, rats, whatever. And one day I came across some free hamsters that somebody wanted to dump on me and said, it's okay, you could use them as snake food. And I gave him a couple, and he went off food for, gosh, like seven months. And it was just killer. Um, <laughs> Wow! And after that, I was like, never again because ham- for me, hamsters aren't easy to get. Um, I I don't right. shop at Petco, PetSmart, and I wasn't going to go there to get some pet hamsters as feeders. So, to answer the question, I think it would be great to do a varied diet. But if you do, in my opinion, give them something you could get your hands on um, with with no problem because right. I had that nightmare, <laughs> and I tip my hat to you guys that are switching it up and and your animals are just eating whatever i I fear them going off of food um i i would I would
1: comment since I have you on here real quick is that my experience has been that when i feed when I was feeding weekly or like on a on a regimented schedule, um I found that it was difficult to get the switch. But once I change that and I feed them more, very sparingly, they're just going to eat because they're going to eat whatever they can get. Yeah, That's been my experience. Okay. So, I don't know. It's interesting, no doubt. All right, let's see what Owen... Owen, what about you? Yes. Uh, What's your I
2: thoughts? Feed nothing, I, well, I feed nothing but mice and rats and chicken, so I don't feed sparingly. I will give the scrubs mainly a bird diet because it allows me to feed them on the same regiment that I have the carpets on, but it doesn't let them get fat. They keep that lean scrub body. Um, right. And I've found that certain other animals will like chicken too, but I had the hardest time getting my maclots python off of chicken. Um, it actually took his first breeding season of going down for several months without food to get him onto rats. And uh-huh. I re- used to give him any more chicken because I don't want to do that again. So, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't really vary their diet too much. Uh, when they're babies, I will raise them on mice. And then once they're old enough or large enough before probably their first year, I will get them on to rats and then that's it. Then they're good. Um, I don't ever move them on to anything else or vary it or change it. Uh, I was one of those guys that, when I first got into carpet pythons, someone explained to me that pinkies and fuzzies don't have anything in them, and they're pretty much just water, so I was dipping the pinkies and the fuzzies in calcium powder and reptivitamin and all that other stuff, and then I kind of just got it into my head to get them to their larger prey item as fast as you can, and that's better for them than dealing with that or starting them off on like hoppers where they have the bones and they're a little bit older in the mice. So that always seemed to be better for them. Uh, And that's pretty much what I do. I mean, I don't supplement anything anymore now. Uh, I I just feed them what I got. So how about you, Eric?
1: Have you had issues with switching from mice to rats?
2: Never, never okay. at well I I had one, and that's because mm-hmm. it was a coastal carpet that all I did was keep feeding him mice and mice and mice and mice and mice as he got older. And then all of a sudden I ended up having a two-year-old that was uh, too big for the biggest mice I could get and wouldn't take a rat. So now I just make sure they're going to trans- – I just transition them over to rats while they're still tiny because I just – I've never had a baby carpet that's still in a baby rack, refused to transition over from mice to rats. Um, mm-hmm. They seem to just kind of latch right onto it. I just transitioned over my newest exanic Jag, uh, and he took it like a champ. Of course, I'm saying this, and my albino is giving me trouble right now. So let me get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> let me I mean- stop what I'm saying saying and I'll get back to you on this. <laughs> okay. So as, I mean well, as far as I, oh, go ahead. No, I mean I I just I haven't had a problem in a while, like a very very long time.
1: So right. Yeah, Darwin's can be uh quite picky eaters for sure. No doubt.
2: What is uh, what is up with that? Why is I that I
1: don't true? I don't know. Jerks. probably because they're very close to the wild animals i don't i you know they're wild cousins or whatever i don't know not a lot stop of generations removed you're making sense
2: <laughs> stop making sense of this okay just call yeah. them jerks and we'll move on um okay
1: so for me personally currently i don't use supplements uh but i have wondered about it and um i wonder if it would help with the long-term success of carpets and i have mm. a couple thoughts that kind of makes at least in my mind, it makes sense. Like, for instance, um, you know, people often wonder, they get slugs. Uh, People often get, uh, you know, poorly calcified eggs, Um, you know. And basically, you have to think about, if you really don't know where your prey, your food is coming from, how do you know what kind of diet the food is is getting? Yeah. Um, And that can make a difference in, uh, you know, how your animal's, how healthy they are. I mean, basically if you eat shit, you are shit. Um, you know, that kind of mindset. Um, I don't know, adding calcium to the diet. I, you know, the, the debate is there. If they're eating whole prey items, uh, what's the need? Um, I guess, you know, but what, is anything getting lost when the food is frozen? You know, um, I don't know. It's something that I've thought about. Um, I know that for people, uh, frozen food, you know. Some people will say loses nutrients and um, you know vitamins and stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I often wonder if that's why Matt does
2: pre-killed prey. Um, I think Matt know. does pre-killed prey because it's easy for Matt. I mean, right. Let's let's not go into it too deep. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you think he, about like here's the, the, the same thinking I do. What what would make this go easier? Done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The gut so. of the of a live animal, I would imagine that uh, you know uh, all the things that are There's living good in bacteria, that, yeah. good bacteria and such. Um, is it is that something that uh, would help animals with our eyes and you know I don't know I I may be thinking out crazy you know but this is sometimes well, I, how I think and the,
2: and, re- and the retort is who's running around and putting. Supplements and calcium powder on the live prey out there in the wild.
1: They're not, but they're
2: all, the prey exactly. is also eating a healthier. Alive. Yeah, and it's and these animals aren't necessarily eating European mice and rats, which is what we're all trying to get them to eat. Correct. So um, unless we want to start raising kangaroo mice or carbon pythons or a whole bunch of skinks, there could be something lost in the diet.
1: Yeah, could there be something that's in, um, you know, uh, for instance, is that why they eat reptiles when they're younger and uh, they move to mammals when they're older? Um, I would imagine that there has to be something in that uh, probably lean, uh, you know, uh, stuff like that. Well,
2: yes and no, because, I mean, I raised the Dominicans on reptile and then switched them over to rodents. And right now, the one black Dominican I have is right on par eating rat pups with the carbon pythons the same age. They all look the same kind of body concept. So, I mean, I don't know. They don't look like, don't look like one's better than the other. If anything, the carpets uh, look bigger.
1: Yeah. So. Um. As far as, for me, as far as size of prey and frequency of feeding, one of the things that I have, uh, you know, done, especially this year, uh, is offered larger size prey less often. Um, except uh, you know when a, it's, uh, my thinking is is that every time I see a wild carpet, it seems like they have a huge gut where they just swallowed a wallaby or something. or something, and, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So does that help with their uh, with their growth overall? Larger prey. I know I I said this a few times, but if you listen back to when Sean Christian was on, uh, he talked about how um he his thoughts was something along the lines of feeding larger prey uh, the animal grows faster and better mm-hmm. uh you know i don't know it's just something that stuck in my head um like i said i always had as far as switching i have never had an issue after i moved to a more uh cycle type of feeding i like the way what terrell was saying earlier about how um, he waits until he sees, uh, you know, his carpets sort of less moving around, looking for food, uh, similar to what Ryan Young does with Chondros. Um If you remember back with his interview, that was something that yeah. he was big on. He doesn't really have any kind of regimen or anything. The only thing that I do as far as a regimen is I don't feed at all from basically the winter season during cool, cool down. Smaller meals when they warm back up. Uh, But right before breeding season, I would say probably around June, I just really put the food to, especially anybody that's going to be breeding. Um, I have thought about moving to like maybe feeding them rabbits, smaller rabbits, Um, you know, especially for those females to get those meals in there. Uh, I think it's important to have the female slightly overweight. Um, you know during, yeah. uh, during breeding season um, yeah, I would agree as far as a varied diet again something that I've been thinking about Um, you know offering up something different every once in a while I would imagine that if I spent my whole life <laughs> eating the same thing I, I don't know <laughs> you know but again yeah. we're different I know mammals are different than reptiles
2: um, a little bit
1: yeah Uh, But, you know, maybe there's something uh, that's missing from their diet. You know, again, I don't know. I guess that's where that supplementation comes into play. Um, What else? What was the other ones? I think that was it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So Cool. All right.
2: All right. So I guess what we're getting on to now is your thoughts on a UV cycle. Uh, and light cycles. Terrell, do you use UV bulbs in your guys, or do you have a light cycle for you guys?
5: Um, Currently, no. I used to have, for the ones that were in enclosures, I had lights in there. But uh, currently, if it's not going to be an overcast day, I'll usually just open the the curtains in my room, and then it's pretty well lit in here. So the sun comes up. So it'll be bright during the afternoon, and then when the sun goes down, that's pretty much all, all the light they get till I get home. I don't really do anything other than that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh,
2: do you see any added benefit, maybe? Have you seen anything online about UV? Uh, like, um, I've seen good thing.
5: I've seen uh, that UV over time brings out their colors better, mm-hmm. but I. That would take me a while to actually figure out if that was true or not for my animals. When I take them outside, they look good. That's pretty much how That's a as blood. far as you yeah. <laughs> goes. Well, there you
1: go. So, take them outside every once in a while.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
5: I live right next to a park, so when it's warm outside, I'll usually take you know three or four at a time and just have them out on the grass. Dang, no. That oh.
2: could go amazing if somebody were to be walking by and not notice that Terrell was just out there with a bunch of carpet, pythons tons of bloods. I mean, they're great. Uh, anyway, um, but there was the question that kind of popped up in the uh, the discussion group over on Facebook, where and it kind of fits in with UVB, UV. Um, if you had UV on your baby snakes and you sold it, do you think that it would now decrease in color and kind of look uglier after...
5: Somebody bought it? So, it look, the absence of UVB after yeah. you sell it kind of. Yeah, or supplements. Um,
1: We're talking about Sort of like. That too. It's sort of like misrepresenting
2: the animal Spoiler. Yeah, would <laughs> that kind of be like You're, pulling the wool over somebody's eyes a little bit?
5: Yeah. It would be if I could confirm that it actually changed the colors of that animal that drastically.
2: Very good point. All right, I'll I'll buy that one. It's almost like staging a... It's almost like how... Yeah, that's exactly... I take the animal and take the picture, and it looks amazing, and then you get it, and you know, you take pictures with your cell phone, so... Yeah,
5: and I've had that happen, where I've bought animals, and they're like, oh, this animal looks amazing, and like, the lighting they're using, I could tell that they were, you know, trying to sell me something, but... It wasn't as bad as I thought when I went to go see the animals. Like, oh well, right here it is. (laughs) (laughs) There
2: it is. All right.
5: (laughs) Yeah, so I could see I could see UVB playing into that, and then you know the person that you sell it to not having it and being a complete not completely different animal, but the colors not standing out as much as you thought they would.
2: Right, and they might be a little disappointed, and you don't want... Mm-hmm. That's all you need is somebody being a keyboard cowboy about you or something like that. Yep. Yeah, I could see that. All right, so that's, that's that was a good example. I like that. Um, Riley, what do you think about UV bulbs? Do you use any on your guys? Um... Looking around? No, I actually,
4: I don't use any UV on them. Um, okay. Uh, I, I have a, a couple angles in the room that I have everybody in where I've got windows so I can get sun coming in from both ends at a different ends of the day. That I'm sure to leave my blinds open so it kind of reflects the natural sunlight cycle that's going on outside. And um, I also pay attention to, if I'm going in and out of the room, uh, whether I've got just the overhead lights on or off, like if I'm doing stuff kind of, you know, well after 738 and, you know, naturally they'd be experiencing a dark part of the day, I'm I'm pretty aware of that. And I try not to uh, use any overhead lights. I'll actually walk around with a flashlight in my own room. I've got lights everywhere. And I can just pop on. It's like, you know, they probably won't really care. But um, I try to, you know, stick to the light cycle that I have going on and let them adjust to that and kind of let that dictate things.
2: Okay, so you just kind of, you, you're you another one who has natural light coming into the room, so that dictates your life cycle, kind of, I mean. Yeah, and you know, I've also got a okay. couple of
4: little small skylights in my ceiling, too, so they are always getting some sort of uh, photo period that's pretty similar to what's going on outside where I'm at on a daily basis.
2: Okay, that, that, that's good. And uh, same question, we kind of put the Terrell with that, do you think that kind of taking an animal that's raised on supplements or UV and then selling it, uh, do you think that would be kind of like misrepresenting the animal a little bit? Or do you think that's not going to be that much of a difference? You know, if
4: you're going to see a difference, it's going to be down the road, like six months to a year. And I think at that point, if anything, it's going to be really subtle you know, mm-hmm. say you raise a baby on supplements and he's under UV his whole life and then he, you know, hits a year and he's sold and then that person keeps him in a rack system. Um, first of all, they're not going to see that animal 24-7 to sit there and go, see, he looks like crap today, I told you. But, um, you know, they're only going to see him when they check on him pulling out the tub and or take him outside or do things like that. And I don't know, I, I think uh, with the way reptiles' bodies respond to changes in supplements and things. There's such a long lag time that it's very long and gradual and slow and, and minimal at best. So I, yeah. you know, to go all the way and say misrepresentation, I, you know, you'd really have to have some pretty strong evidence to sway me that way. If, if I sold an animal and somebody came at came back to me later, it's like this thing looks brown and gross and you sold it to me and it was, you know, neon green or something, it, you know, uh, yeah, I'll I'll entertain the idea and see how valid that is, but I can't imagine there's too much difference in there. So I don't know. I, I I'd be hard pressed to see too many experiences with people saying, "Oh, you know, this is this is not what I paid for" or something like that. So I don't know. I don't think it makes uh, too much of a difference.
2: Yeah, I, I would kind of agree with that one. So all right, guess we'll move to Steve. Same question, do you, do you use any UV on your animals?
6: I do. Okay. Um, I like to use it on my adults. As I mentioned, I, I did see a difference with uh, specifically my bread lie. Um, their color just looked more clean. I'm sure some some of you guys have seen carpets where it almost looks like they have a darker Haze over them, not necessarily muddiness in their color, but just kind of a, a dark haze, um, mm-hmm. and that cleared up, and, and their red became more vibrant and and really just clean. Um, and then as the bulb, you know, starts to die out, um, to kind of answer the the other question about using U V B on babies and selling them eventually mm-hmm. you do see the difference um but it's really slow as riley you know touched on um, it's it's going to be a long process and that's how i know it's time to change the bulb because i realize well, i've had the bulb for probably a year and a half and now this snake is kind of looking not so hot <laughs> right and i changed it and in right. a few months exactly it, it it just goes back on and looks vibrant again um okay. I don't think any of us are are trying i mean with with the people I talk to in the carpet community, any of us are trying to pull a fast one over the other um mm-hmm. I think everybody's pretty solid at least that I communicate with um and I don't think anybody would try and and make just a quick sale and make their animals look good and most of the time. Um, the carpets are going to color up, so in six months, you know, when it's in their care, by that time it should be coloring up just naturally without light, and they should be pretty happy with it.
2: Yeah, um, that that is true. I mean, they do get brighter as they get bigger, and for all you know, they could be complaining, and then the animal can shed, and then they won't complain anymore. So.
6: Yep. Yeah. Well, they're gonna re- they're gonna eventually complain regardless, right? Just kidding. oh yeah, well,
2: it's always. <laughs>
6: So. <laughs> <laughs> something, I why'd you get me addicted to this hobby?
2: I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, damn it's, you. It's, I I only have several of Eric's animals so that I can call him and complain in the middle of the night. So yeah. you know,
1: yeah. Okay. Perfect, Eric. Uh lighting, UVB. Um, I don't know. I don't know if UVB matters or it don't. Um. I think with diamond pythons it might have a uh, uh, be very important, um, and I have heard that, and I do follow that. Um, I don't know with other carpets if they do or they don't. I, it, you know, the thing of it is, is that I think what's more important than maybe UVB is a light cycle. I think that. Um, I think especially what I find in the carpet community is that's something that's often overlooked because I don't Mm -hmm. think that it may necessarily be something that's a necessity, but I do believe, uh, like you've heard me say before, there's a checklist of five or six different things in order to be successful with breeding carpets. I think you have to have at least three or four of them checked off. um, (laughs) To get the eggs, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and it can be – it can be any three, but those, you know, you can't just do one. Like, for instance, you just can't drop temps, and you're going right. to be successful. You know, it has to be a little more than that, I think. And sometimes I think that we don't even realize things that is happening in our rooms uh, that we think that we're not control. Like, for instance, I, hear, I used to hear a lot of people, especially on the reptile radio days, they would talk about how they don't drop temps, you know, Right, but their their collection is in a basement. Well, guess what? You know, at nighttime when it's, when it's yeah. thirty degrees outside, regardless of whether you drop the temps or not, the temps in the house are dropping down. You know, yeah. uh, you may not think that you're dropping the temps, but the ambient tempo what they are. Of Yes, yes. I found that even when, uh, in my past, when I've had a space heater running, and it runs at night, and even if I have it at the same temperature or a little more, it doesn't hold that ambient temperature. When I was doing the ambient temperature whole gig, Mm -hmm. I had a hard time keeping the ambient temperature up at night, you know. I'd actually have to turn up the space heater in order to do that. So, my feeling Mm -hmm. is, you just let everything run as is, it's naturally going to drop. So, Anyway, back to lighting. I don't know. I think it's something that uh, has been overlooked or forgotten. I think it's uh, important. Um, I think carpets and morelia are really in tune to the sun. And I think that uh, when you have animals that are in tune to the sun, that it it can't hurt them, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, We were saying on the chat, you know, when the lights in my room go off, they're off. So if I have to go in there, I have a red torch lamp, you know, that you stick on your head, and I go in there, and that's what I work with. But typically, I don't mm-hmm. go in my
2: room after the
1: lights are out. So, what um,
2: what's your light cycle? What's the timing?
1: Um, basically, in the summertime, is it's like twelve twelve.
2: Now, I I
1: basically follow whatever is outside. Uh, so right. whatever's going on outside is kind of what I follow inside. Um, You know, right now, what are we, uh, what would you say we are? Uh, probably...
2: Well, we're starting to creep back into the more light, but... um,
1: Yeah, the sun comes up... It's mostly dark. 6.30, I think it sets at, what, maybe like 4 o'clock? So, that's kind of like what I'm running right now.
2: Right. So, that's what I got. got Yeah, uh... For me, I've never used UV on any of my Morelia. I do use it in cages with, like, right now I have um, Nile monitors, and I'm using the UV with them. Um, I toyed around with the idea of bringing UV bulbs into the black phase white lips, uh, but I didn't do it, and uh, we don't have any black phase anymore, so I haven't done anything with that yet. Um, I could see where it could be useful for things like Bolin's, uh, diamonds, and blackface, white lips. Uh, the light cycle I have for my guys is, unlike a lot of people, I don't have any windows in my snake room. So my snake room is completely what I choose it to be. If I want it to be dark at noon, I can. Um, so I have them on a strict 12-12 all year round. So um, I pretty much use temperatures to produce some what's going on. Even then, uh, even with no windows or anything like that, my guys still know when it's nighttime and they still know when a storm's coming. So, uh, you can't really fool them even if you think you can. Uh, and that's pretty much with me as far as whether or not something that's on supplements or, you know, UV being sold and then coming back at you. It's pretty much the same thing of like, I've had people who I take the time and set up the pictures and the lighting and I take a really nice picture with my really nice camera of this really pretty baby snake, and uh, then I bring it to the show, and a lot of people kind of, I've had people compliment the picture of the animal, not knowing that the animal they're talking about is in the display in front of them. Like, it, there's a disconnect. <laughs> it's like, they're expecting it to be, like, all bright and lit and shiny right there, when, like, it's blue it's going to shed in a day or two or something like that so it's it sometimes there's a disconnect and I wouldn't be too concerned if somebody came back to me telling me that they were a little disappointed with the color um, because like like what Steven said they're, they're, they're going to grow they'll shed and you can't please everybody I guarantee you there's been people who have complained over crap like this and you just kind of gotta see what you do to try to make them happy if you can't make them happy move on so, there you go. All right. Are you next or is it me? Because it says my name, but I just went. So, now you're going out of turn.
1: Oh, wow. What the heck? Yeah, um, I know. Amateur. I guess I'll go if you want me to go. <laughs> I can go. I'll go. I like this okay, one. Okay, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I like this, this idea. Is this, is, this, is, this is one of the to me. Yeah, I love this. All right, Terrell. Jag to Jag pairings. Are you for them? Or are you against them? Um, and also with the uh, people are still doing them, even though 25% of the clutch will become lethal white and die, and 50% of them come out uh, looking pretty but are, quote, unquote, jagged. I love it when we can use this as a verb or something like that. It's great. Um, and 25% are normal. Uh, what are your thoughts on doing it? Will you do it, Terrell? Uh, Yeah, I'm here.
5: Um, Are you going to
2: do Jag to Jag?
5: I don't have any projects currently that would require me to do Jag to Jag. I may come across it um, sometime down the line, depending on uh, which route I go with certain projects. But I don't have anything right now that would make me do that. And as far as jagged animals go, I don't have a problem with them. I actually have uh, a lot of the holdbacks that I have for my – uh, Earing and Jaya Jaguar clutch are beautiful animals. So to me, they're beautiful animals. Like I don't have any real need to sell them. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't see a problem with having them. So I always, you know, I always feel that way about them. And there's people okay. that just want a, a nice looking pet. So then I'll have something for those people. You know what I mean? Like it won't Makes be. Sense. uh me just selling it to somebody just to sell it to somebody. It'll, it'll be it's going to this person. And I, I like I like to take a lot of pictures of animals. So if I happen to come across it again and somebody has questions, well, they'll know exactly where that animal came from and what it is.
2: Okay. So the next part of the question is a lot of people tend to get all up in arms and upset about breeding Jag to Jag, even though um, – And and it comes the 25% that will be dead supers. Uh But it kind of like is in the same kind of thing of if you breed a pure jungle to a mutt, like a coastal jungle, you'll still get, or coastal, like say, it's a pure jungle to a jungle jack. You're still going to get 25% of the clutch being those normal-looking animals that a lot of people are totally okay with culling. So how is that, where you call those animals like feed them to a caribou or a, um, a monitor or a cobra, whatever blackhead? How is that seen as not that bad when jag the jag is just horrible?
5: You know, I, I've asked that question too, and I really don't have anybody anything against anybody that calls animals. If that's what they want to do. That's fine. That's not something I'm interested in doing. and That's not something I could do being that, you know, if I bred these animals with the intent to get something out of it, knowing that the percentages would be low, then I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm also responsible for the ones that I wasn't aiming to get as well. So I wouldn't just, with intent, just call them just because it's not what I was looking for. Like, I'm taking the whole thing as a whole instead of, I wanted this, and the rest of you, that's that's bad so I I don't know why the two are looked at differently it's pretty much the exact same thing it's
3: Mm -hmm. mindset
5: that you want to put yourself in whether it's right or wrong to me either way I mean it's not a bad thing to do that's what you want to do but to me it just doesn't fit who I am and what I'm aiming to do so it's just not something I would be doing or interested in doing like, say if I was going to pair two eggs together, I know what's going to happen when I do, and those animals probably aren't going to survive. The supers I come from that, well, I mean, I have a snake, so I'll eat them <laughs> if necessary. But, right. <laughs> but it's like well, only because I know that those animals aren't going to survive. The, um, the siblings of that, are, I'm still going to have around. I'm not going to call those two just because. There's sibs, and people can mistake them for something else. That can really happen with anything that you pair together. Mm-hmm. You can have jungles that are jungle coastals that look pure jungle, and, you know, you tell somebody that this is what this is, and then, you know, they sell it to somebody, then they sell it to somebody else. Well, that information is gone now. So it's just as irrelevant as
2: having a sib. Right, right. And that's and then it can be labeled anything. hmm I got it. Okay. No, that's good. I like those. Um, like I said, this is always one of the, it's one of those hot button topics, and thank God you're not one of those people that's like, maybe mine will live. It's like, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. I like, I've,
5: I've read it. <laughs> what everybody's had to say about them. You know, I've seen what people have tried and the the scenarios that they put. Uh, well, you know, if I do this or if I you know, cool them down to this. Maybe they'll survive. It's like they're not. The they're same not thing. It's the survive. same. No. <laughs> so you so. To cut
2: it open and replace its dinners. Well, all right, maybe give that a shot. But no.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I mean, I'll entertain what other people want to do with their own collections, but it's just not something I'm interested in doing with my own. I got you.
2: So, all right, uh, Riley. Same question what do you feel about Jag the Jag? Would you ever do it? Would you not do it? Um, and what do you feel about the kind of uh, stigma between Jag Jag the Jag versus culling uh, mutt animals? Um, you know, I haven't done one thus
4: far. I don't have any plans in the foreseeable future of doing any. That being said, I, I wouldn't shy away from doing one if it achieved an end goal in a project that I was really stoked on. Um, you know, for me, it's a matter of as long as you know what you're getting into and you're prepared to, you know, handle the results, whether that be, um, holding on to animals that are just like too far whacked out to, uh, justifiably put in another home without being super sure that the people know what they're getting into or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, feeding out animals that don't make it or animals that are, you know, suffering because of a deformity or, you know, just the fact that you're going to get something, it might be there for a week and it's guaranteed to, you know, kick the bucket within a month. As long as you go into it knowing what you're getting into and they're prepared to handle it, you know, more power to you. I Personally, it's none of my business what everybody else is going to do. And, and, and you know, I, I'd i honestly like to see that puzzle solved sometime in the future. So if we just shy away from that and avoid that, you know, nobody's pushing it and, we might never ever figure it out. So that being said, you know, go for it. Um, The stigma of, you know, what's the difference between that and culling animals? Again, same thing. Like if, if your prerogative is to not sully the waters with, you know, a risk of somebody misrepresenting a mutt and sullying it off and completely throwing off some bloodlines and starting a chain reaction of, misinformation and stuff, then, you know, I respect that decision entirely as well, too. You know, to some degree, it's wise to try and um, maintain as much accurate information and, and share that as possible, that, that once the animal's out of your hand, you have no control over it. So,
3: mm-hmm.
4: I personally probably wouldn't... Uh, be able to just throw a 100% healthy animal in a freezer just because it's, you know, red light, coastal, IJ, Darwin, you know, and it just looks like a Picasso or something. Mm -hmm. Um, If it eats, if it's healthy and, and, you know, nothing's actually wrong with it, uh, I'll have a keeper to put the time and, and effort into finding it at home where I know somebody's gonna you know be aware of that fact. I'm not gonna... I don't know. I, 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 I just couldn't throw something healthy in the freezer. But, you know, if that's what somebody's going to do, that's what they're going to do. I'm, and, again, it's none of my business. Um, if I pop something out that was super whacked out, but it was alive, but I didn't think it was going to survive. You know, Terrell said he's got his uh, king snakes. I've got a Krebo that that dude is pacing at the window all day, every day. Mm. for whatever he's buying, Always hungry. Food. Oh, he. I, I've learned I can't ever feed him barefoot because my feet are usually too close to him and they're warm, and he goes to them first if I don't have food ready. So oh fish, God. quail, rats, mice, whatever, snakes, lizards, he'll eat it. So um, if I found myself in that position, I, I have options to handle it. I'll probably try and avoid it, though. But yeah. if, it, if it gets me to where I want to go in certain projects, then I'm not going to let it stop me.
2: All right.
6: Cool. All right,
2: uh, Steve. Same question.
6: So, Jag to Jag pairings. Um. hmm As Riley mentioned, you know, if people aren't doing them, then we'll never get a a super that survives. And everybody says that there's never going to be a super that survives, but who knows? Um, honestly, it, it doing it 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 would probably be pretty cool to see you know a uh a lucy hatch out even though it doesn't make it and it's it's sad and and it sucks but it probably is pretty cool to see um that being said though when my opinion on this is you're intentionally breeding jag to jag and you know 25 percent is going to die um if you have a problem with coaling i think it would be the same
3: mm-hmm. now
6: if you're breeding jag to jag and you don't mind you know coaling your offspring then you're it's a, it's one in the same my problem is people who say you shouldn't coal babies you shouldn't you should find them a good home whatever it may be but they're right. breeding jag to jag and they have a problem coaling when I think I find that one in the same. Um, but I do agree with Riley in the sense that um, you could find good homes for undesirables. You know, I have a couple buddies that will take um, free carpets that aren't really into them, but they'll take a, a free one that's mixed blood when I uh, cross that path. Um, but my issue with this topic is, is somebody being against coaling but willing to do Jag-to-Jag pairings. Okay,
2: makes sense. It's kind of like a little hypocritical, like you know, you know, twenty five is going to die, yeah. So, okay, very cool. Uh, Eric, how about you? I know you got that blackhead sitting and waiting and ready for anything.
1: Yeah, I mean. I've talked about this multiple times on the show. I'm not against calling, um, the more and more that I breed, the more and more I feel that, um, I don't know if that's necessary or not necessary. I, I you know, for me personally, I have only culled animals that are, you know, not the healthiest, effective, um, you know, ones that don't, Uh, maybe necessarily eat that well, you know, I I sort of hold off for a while with the eating type of thing, I don't, that's not a major thing of why I would call animals, but on the flip side of that, I think as a breeder, I think there's a certain amount of responsibility that we have to take to, you know, if an animal is not eating well, why do you want to, you know what I mean, like why do you want to cultivate that into a uh, into a breeding group. I mean, you want the animals that come out and eat right away. And, and, you know, I think ultimately long term, that makes for the best animal in captivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack the Jag pairing. I'm not against it. I have not done it. I'm sure at some point in my Frankenstein group of snakes, I will have to approach it. Uh, one of the things that I have noticed, uh, Mike Curtin, brought this to my attention um it seems that when you breed ocelot jag to ocelot jag you get even a crazier you know whacked out patterns than you would with just breeding ocelot you know to say a jungle or something like that um so i think at some point that's going to be necessary for me uh as far as the if they come out jaggier i don't believe that Um, I think that they either are, or they, or not, I don't think that there's, I don't think that it has anything to do with the being too jags as parents make it even more jags, jaggier, if that is a word, Mm -hmm. I guess. (laughs) Um,
2: We'll, we'll make it one.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I've, I did a pairing with a caramel jag to a caramel this past year. And I have a couple caramels in there that are like bobbleheads, um, beautiful snakes, but they don't eat like no matter. It doesn't matter if the, you know, I've never had a jag where they're at standstill and the, you know, their head wobbles like that. Now I've had Mm -hmm. jags that are just, I mean like my albino jag is just straight up. Redonkulous when it comes to. <laughs> he's, he's like flipping upside down and. The slightest
2: uh, yeah. thing going on. He's, uh, yeah, I got you.
1: Yeah, corkscrewing cork's like crazy. the exact same way. Yep. Um, so, you know, like I said, I'm not against jag to jag. I think sometimes that, um, you know, uh, that um, it may be necessary. Uh, I prefer to have my JAGs be males and the non-JAGs be females uh, simply mm-hmm. because it leaves me the option to do maternal incubation. And I just think that, you know, uh, I'd rather have a normal female, you know, or a non I should say a non-JAG female do the uh, maternal incubation than a JAG female. Because some people have done it with success. Some people say that uh, they're not good mothers. I think it's just maybe on individual <laughs> I, uh, basis. Yeah. Um, but personally, I just have geared my breeding projects and collections to go along those those lines. Um, as far as the Lucy thing, ah man, I I just I do not believe that there will ever be a living leucistic from a Never. jag to jag I just it's it's a it's a thing that has to do with the lungs and the way that it develops and I don't think that anything is going to unlock that I think eventually there will be some type of leucistic carpet absolutely yeah Uh, Yeah. but I don't think it's going to come from a jag to a jag but that's just my different
0: way
2: (laughs) you know
1: Uh, I mean we've been doing it since how long you know
2: and JAG have, came out in, like, what, 2002? Something 2000? like that.
1: 2000? Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. yes,
2: yeah. 15 years later, and I don't Nothing. know. <laughs> countless readings from countless continents to countless... yeah. No. Now, granted,
1: no. not a lot of them have been JAG to JAG. I, I will say that, but I just don't think that... I, especially, I think what opened my eyes to... Uh, to really help uh, slam that point home with the the whole JAG thing is uh, when the uh, vet did the autopsy of the JAG in Australia and he actually showed how the lungs were underdeveloped and, uh, you know, that was the cause of death and all that, you know, so.
2: What about you? Uh, For me, I... Have been against doing jag the jag forever, because not from a thing of like oh I couldn't stand the no nah, none of that. It's because I would rather get a living baby out of my animals than something that dies in the egg. If my female's going to put all the nutrients and energy to making this egg and carrying the egg and incubating the egg, um, there better be something coming out of it. I mean you know granted. I have had a few babies that come out malformed or, you know, uh, two-headed. But uh, if it's an egg, I expect it to be a critter coming out of it. So to have to write off 25% of the clutch for no reason other than the fact that I couldn't find a single other animal to pair my jag with, it's stupid to me. So I wouldn't do it. Um, As far as culling, I have no problem with it. I've culled numerous animals. A lot of them were jags that came out of the egg and were just too far, too messed up to do, like, to function. Uh, I had one jag that would nero so badly, uh, and it was constant nero, it couldn't actually slither. It would, like, roll places. Um, and I threw that in with one of, some of Andrew's mangrove monitors, and they ate it up. Uh, but then I've also had animals, like, I had one jag that was born with one eyeball. Um, he had the second one But it was really tiny And it was all black So uh, And he couldn't see out of it But he ate and he functioned And I found a friend who was just looking for a pet snake And they took him and he's apparently doing fine He's not the size of Any normal uh, Jaguar or male Jaguar of his age But he's still kicking So um, I could see doing that As well um, But as far as you know, culling for blood percentages. Um, I could see people doing that. I have no problem with people doing it. I would never do it. Um, I would always just tend to find a way to, you know, sell the babies uh, somewhere else represented. I mean, if I took a box of mixed blood babies to uh, some of my friends who I know are a little bit of wholesalers, they would take it and be happy. And then if you went to one of the wholesalers and bought yourself a pure Coastal, um, and then found out it wasn't. Well, then, what were you doing buying pure animals from the wholesaler? You should be going to somebody else with lineage and all that stuff. So, you kind of, you're in it for your own. So, that's where I would go. Uh, I would not, I would avoid Jag the Jag, um, but I keep finding it to be harder and harder to do with the animals that I have. Um, right. It's kind of like, I, I mean, I didn't listen to you. I have a super caramel. Uh, jag female. And I'm like, what am I going to breed you with? Crap! I have an exotic Jag. Damn it! And so it's <laughs> like, I, I want to do this pairing, but it's like, shit! So I'm trying to figure out, I I got a normal exanic male, and I have a female Super Caramel that's not a Jag. So what I'm probably going to end up doing is a few years down the road, the exotic Jag will go with the Super Caramel, and the normal exanic will go with the Super Caramel Jag. We'll avoid the Jag, the Jags, we'll get what we want, but it's like the best looking Super Caramel is not going to go with the best looking exanic which kills me because they're both Jags. So right. I may be, I might be weak and end up doing it, but um, I'm going to stick to my guns so far. So.
1: Okay. Cool.
2: Alright,
1: well we have very limited time left on yes. the uh, show here. Episode. We have... Yeah. We have a whole bunch of topics. You went ape shit with the freaking to topics. It's
2: like yeah. dear God.
1: Um so this is what I think we should hit on. Uh we're gonna right. hit on we're gonna uh, we'll jump ahead. Um and I wanted people's thoughts let's see, what time do we got? Thirty seven. So yeah. we could we probably that. Hit this question. What is your thoughts on uh, where's it at? Uh, da, 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 da. Um, the whole marketing thing, um, and then what we got going on for the season. Um, yeah, and we won't. So let me let me get this up. Uh, I'll hit the marketing one, and you can hit the going on of the season. So great, hey, you got Let's it. get Terrell going on here, and we'll get out. Okay, Terrell. Um, this is something that for me, I've seen happen a lot and I'm curious on your guys' thoughts on this. And I think that it's, uh, I think that it's in a way, it's kind of a, a a good thing as far as marketing, but at the same time, I think it's a little bit, um, misleading to a certain extent and it has to do with, um... The thought of when it comes to calling something a name that uh, is from an animal in its lineage. And what I mean by that is, like, I guess the perfect example would be Gamma Jag, okay? So mm-hmm. my feeling is is that if you have a animal that came from a Gamma animal, you know, that John bred at Morelia Trophy Club, that animal is a Gamma Jag. But once you start crossing that out to things – it's probably at best what twenty five percent gamma blood at that point. So at what point do you stop using that as sort of a uh, mine is better than yours type of thing? I mean, to a, to to one side of it, I feel that yes, it uh, it it does explain lineage. But then to the other side of it, it's you know how much of that lineage is in the animal. What are your thoughts?
5: Well, when you get So say you take a gamma jag and you breed it to another, you know, jungle. Well, you're you're kind of losing that moniker itself because now you're creating something of your own, so you should probably stop calling it that. You can say when you're selling it that, you know, this came from a gamma jag and then this other animal, but calling it a gamma jag I feel is not lying or slighting the person you're selling it to, but it's like you're, You're riding on the coattails of somebody else's achievement. Yes. Like, if I were to own a Gamma Jag and I put it to something else, you would never hear me call it a Gamma Jag. Like, well, one of the parents was, you know, a animal from Gamma, and then so-and-so, X and Y, put together, this is what this animal is. And now, if I were going to call it a lion and it wasn't just a one-off thing, then I would give it its own name. I wouldn't use somebody else's name for my animal. Right.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, I'm kind of in agreement with that. And you know, you also see it with IJs, with uh, you know PC, and you see it with Madame Blueberry and all those kind of things. So, uh, from the aspect of it, you know, making your own thing, I think people need to uh, to think about that. You know, why? Yeah, and
5: a lot of a lot of times those animals have been removed from the equation for quite some time. And- right. You know, you've bred generations of your own distinct animals, yet you're still calling it this because it's a name that people associate it with. But I would feel, you know, if you wanted to be an up-and-coming breeder, like the top of what you're trying to do, you would give it your own name, like your own flair right. instead of using somebody else's name for something.
1: Right. Okay. Cool. Let's see what Riley thinks. Same question, Riley. Uh, you know, what do you think of uh you know, the whole naming it something that's, you know, animals back in the lineage?
4: Um so I I do have a, a gamma jag uh sibling, so so don't hang me there. I'm a sibling
3: and
4: mm-hmm. no no <laughs> no on But um the dude is I mean he's amazing. Every time he sheds I'm I'm blown away, but uh you know, I think when it's it's coming kind of, I guess so the best way to put it would be like one of the first generations from, you know, say uh, at least a 50% gamma animal or something like that, or it's got really close ties, um, representing offspring saying that it, it came from uh, a high percentage gamma animal or, you know, if it's directly from the original, uh the original animals, and yeah, I think that's all fine and good. You know, people like to know lineage, and I I totally support lineage information, but I can totally see exactly how putting such a kind of a reputable title like that is almost like putting an animal on a, up on a pedestal, and, and that can be very misrepresenting when, you know, that that in question has a quarter of that animal's blood in it at best or something like that. So, You know, like Terrell said, you can sell an animal or or represent it that it has some uh, lineage to it. And if you can present the lineage, then any potential buyer or people just, you know, in in the conversation can see that it's just a percentage. It's not like an overall uh, direct line. But, um, you know, I like to keep information just because I like to know where things came from. Um, that being said, I was very much against naming my animals, just like random names. I, I went by what they were, where the lineage and things like exactly calling it a gamma jag, uh, sibling and things like that. But, you know, now that I'm getting into a point where I'm going to take these animals and I'm going to, I guess for lack of a better way to put it further dilute away from those specific bloodlines, if I were to breed in such a case. Um, you know, giving it a name, it, it kind of reminds me of how, like, Chondro people really like to uh, remember certain breeding animals' names. And, you know, they remember the name and they keep track of that lineage so they know that it has those uh, bloodlines in it, but they're not, you know, under the impression that it's only that. So, I don't know, I, I think to a degree it's good to keep that information uh, attached to animals when transferring ownership or, you know, just, make a note of that, but yeah, to a degree, it's inaccurate in my
1: opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree with you. I think you got a, you made some good points there about as far as the, the lineage and such. So cool. What about you, Steve? What do you think? Same question.
6: Um, I'm sorry. I was, I'm not going to lie. What's the question again? I'm reading. I was reading about the <laughs> <Ripashi> super pig. <laughs> <laughs> no worries I'm You're listening. Oh no, the Gamma Jag The Gamma Jag yeah. and Bloodline Because yeah. I was listening
1: yeah.
6: I'm a good multitasker, I swear Yeah, that's cool, um, no worries No, as, as Terrell, you know, mentioned um, it It's kind of It's so many generations removed sometimes And you don't even know it Because somebody's representing that animal With that Bloodline um, And in my opinion, it, it kind of depends. Um, you know, Riley said he has a gamma, I think, gamma sibling, not a jag, um, and right. that thing is stunning. If the animal produces, you know, great stuff, um, then it's still got those gamma genes clearly. I mean, gamma, that that whole line, it's just I haven't seen a bad animal from it. Um so you're kind of saying, you know, the ingredients in there. Um, I think the tough part, like for me personally, I'm constantly posting, you know, Nick Mudd and Bloodline, Australian Addiction, whoever produced it, um, trying to mainly give them credit. You know, um, I bought these animals from them. They they worked hard. And if you look, um, they'll say who they got their animals from. So it could all be traced back. Right. I personally would love to produce a stunning clutch of animals, um, and say this is Stephen Cat's bloodline or SBK Reptiles bloodline or Diablo bloodline, and that stick. But my uh, concern is sounding, in my opinion, like a thief. You know, somebody else put this hard work in and and spent the money maybe or or chose the right animal to pair it with. And you're just wiping their name away. Um, so I think it's important to represent how much, bl- what percentage of that bloodline is in there.
1: But don't you think um, to a certain ex- don't you think to a certain extent that you are taking that breeding project in a different direction?
6: Yes, in a lot of ways. Um, the other reason to do it, though, is. Say somebody like you guys who's who's into breeding and and want to keep track of bloodlines, you're going to know. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, you're 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 going to ask me where did I get my animals from. So putting say, uh, Gamma line or Nick Mudden bloodline, you kind of already have an idea. Say I post an ad, you know where these animals came from. On the flip side, somebody else who is, this may be their first snake, that's all over their head. It's not going to mean anything, so it's not going to be re- misrepresented to them at all, and it's not going to mean anything to them at all. So there's right. pros and cons with it. Um, I think personally why I do it is I don't want to seem like I'm stealing the name or trying to, this is this is cat's line, you know, stuff like that, mm-hmm. Um And the other thing is, because I'm posting a for-sale ad, and I know a lot of times people ask, where did you get the adults from, what's the background, and you kind of already answer that in in the question. But I do get get Terrell's point on the blood being kind of washed out, stuff like that, and that being kind of misleading. Gotcha. Okay.
1: All right. How about you, Owen? What do you think?
2: Uh, I kind of feel like you're you're paying for the name when you're buying the snake, but after a certain point, you can't use it like if I bought a gamma jag and I bred it um the animals that I think would come next I could probably get away with calling gamma jags, but then after that, it's like like when I start breeding the holdbacks and things like that you're now getting so far away from it that you have to move over to the gamma line or to the uh, – these are animals that came from gamma at some point. Like, you can't start calling everything gamma jags. You can just call them jags, and then when people ask you, well, yeah, there's gamma in there, it's great-grandmother or something like that. and That's what you got to stick with. You can't just go out and call everything that's a gamma line a gamma. But then – you know, we do that with certain other things, like everything's in MBV Jag, um, and when really they just should be from MBV Line uh, or Red Jag. That's just how it goes. What more? Red jack. Jag. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I have I
1: have some thoughts on this.
2: Oh God, uh, yeah. I'll get my pen. <laughs>
1: yeah, get get the pen out.
2: Just for one, this for is why I,
1: this is why I think lineage. I, I agree with Terrell. I think this is why lineage is so important. Okay, so, for instance, when you buy a snake from me, you're going to get a lineage. And I have not bred my um, uh, Diamond Jungle Jag from the, you know, Gamma Jag, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have not bred him yet. But if I did breed him and I bred it to whatever, uh, I, I would not call that a Gamma Jag. Because I believe that the animal is now diluted uh, mm. it's no longer a, a gamma jag it is a diamond jungle jag and it does have lineage back to you know a gamma animal um, but that's why I do lineage charts so you can actually see that I don't have to say that in my name so to speak um, but I have been guilty of that um, Yeah. because when you're putting something up uh, you know, I use PC for IJs, you know. but right. I don't know. For me personally, I think when you take a breeding project, like for instance, I have a lot of Paul Harris stuff. I have a lot of Nick Mutton stuff. I have Australian Addiction, all that stuff. I'm all for giving right. those guys credit, but my breeding projects may not necessarily be what those guys' breeding projects. So I've sort of taken that and I've sort of steered it in a different direction. Made it your Honestly, own. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, they're going to get credit in the lineage. Um, but I want to sort of be the, the – I don't want to do what Nick Mutton does, you know, because I don't want to be another Nick Mutton. Because if you're going to have a choice between buying a snake from Nick Mutton or the Nick Mutton copycat, who are you going to buy from? You're going to buy I'm from I'm going to go straight Mutton. to the Nick Mutton. Yeah, I yeah you. exactly. Yeah. I mean, we used to see that with Jason Balin. You'd go to all of our shows and whatnot, and you would see these people, you know, selling carpets that basically are a mirror image of what Jason's doing. And you know, it's kind of like, okay, well, am I going to buy from you or am I going to buy from him? I'm going to buy from him. You know, if I want. Well, to the kicker you, is,
2: is that well, the kicker is that all all our stuff that looks like Balin stuff because we bought animals from Balin, so it's like. Yeah, so maybe we have to he's take a him. year or two ahead of us. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, no. <laughs>
1: and you have animals from the same clutches that, uh, you know, yeah. it's is going in a different way than what I'm going with. And, and that's a good thing, yeah. I think. You know True. what I mean? I think, I think so. Um, I think it is important, though, to know, you know, the information behind the animal. For instance, I guess if I post it up, I post up something, and people say, what is that? Okay, this is where it came from. This is who bred it. This is the animal. I think the important thing, and this is where I suck at, and I think you're really good at, is naming animals. Because I think when you name them, they sort of become real,
2: if that makes sense. It's not because it just makes my life so much easier. Because now I don't, it's like I need to know the backstory on Aurora. I know the backstory on Aurora. And it's like I don't need to sit here and think about, oh, it's my Leary M Pen, like Leary Jag. My MV Leary Jack. It's like I just need to know what made her. So and, that's why yeah. it's and it's so much easier to do that. <coughs> excuse me with the lineage because then it's like name of animal. What the hell made him? This done. Moving on. So yes, Yeah.
1: So I think that that uh, that's important at least for me. I don't know. Maybe and and to a certain extent that is sort of like a. A gimmicky thing, I get it, but it at is. the same time, yeah. I think it makes it uh, easier for somebody to recognize a certain look, you know, like Poison Ivy. Yeah. Everybody knows Poison Ivy, but not everybody knows other animals in my collection, so it made me think, like, okay, well, everybody knows this snake. Why? Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't say... Name well, and this is a Jake Milbrat IJ, um, you know, yeah. Poison Ivy. So... That's kind of my thoughts on that. So, real quick, we have five minutes. We may get cut off. We may not. We're going to run through, uh, let these guys throw out some plugs and what they're excited about in the season. Yep. Hopefully we can squeeze them all through. All right,
2: let's go. All right, talk quick. Correll, plug your stuff, and what are you excited about this season?
5: Uh, Well, designer exotics pretty much on everything. Our main website is designerexotics.net. Uh, what we have working on this season, um, we have our albino to albino jag. Uh, Seen locks from that, so excited about that. And our IJ to IJ jag. we going to try for IJ jags again this year. Last year we only got one, so we're going to try for more this year. Uh, that's huh. pretty much
2: it. More than one. Good job.
5: Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah, I'm going for more than one. Yeah. Eric had to have <laughs> one. So. I did, too. that was funny so all right thank you Tyrell so let's move on uh Riley plug your stuff and what are you excited about this season
4: uh I just I'm not super creative with my name uh so I just kind of go by Riley's Reptiles and all my social media Instagram Facebook and stuff like that it's pretty easy to uh remember who you're talking to in in that respect (laughs) but uh this year just doing uh Two two carpet pairs, um uh, got a tiger jag female, work a lot of tiger into so really reduced. And uh throwing some more tiger in there. Like I said earlier, I'm a sucker for some stripes, so That's I nice. wanna strip and I wanna strip out that pattern and I wanna wanna push the limit with that and then uh kind of last minute decided to do a jungle pairing this year thanks to Todd and um got a, a striped male to go with this female who's hinting at some stripes in her pattern, so I wanna see what I can pull out of that and then yeah, I'm uh I don't know, call me crazy but I'm trying some boas this year too with some rainbow bows, so oh that's what I'm to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm no. here, but I've got a female that's nearly uh nearly five kilos, so if it works out that's gonna be a lot.
2: Yeah. All right.
4: So that's
2: very, it. Very cool. Very cool. All right, uh Steven, what about you?
6: Uh, here at SBK Reptiles, I'm pretty stoked for my JAG to bread lie pairing. Just kidding. Um oh, God, gave me
2: a heart attack. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair. Uh, no, never. Sorry. Uh, the,
6: the, <laughs> the pairing yeah. I'm most excited for is uh, my Diablo uh, to pretzel. Uh, that is his first-generation offspring with me. Um, and, you know, if I could prove out um, anything being genetic with his dark color. Um, right. so that's that's what I'm most excited for. I'm also excited because uh she was, you know, one of the first clutches that I produced, so she's now breeding size, so kinda of stoked about that. Um I'm also doing a zebra to zebra pairing, um and excited to produce super zebras if all goes well. Nice. Hopefully with nice straight tails. I'm going to do a IJ Jag Pairing and a Jungle Jag Pairing. And another, the last one that I'm most excited for, um, was going to post this online, but I guess I'll tell you guys now, is my 575-gram male Azanthic Carpet Python locked up with my granite female. Oh! So hopefully I get a good... Healthy clutch of double hats. Double hats. Nice. Very, yeah. nice. Very
2: nice. Cool. Very cool. And all right. That's it. All right. Cool. <laughs> all right, man. I I guess we'll thank all the guys for coming on to the roundtable, especially on such short notice, and saving Eric and mine collective ass from talking to each other for the entire time. So <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for coming on, and uh, we're going to have you guys all back for round two because Eric came up with way too much stuff to fit into just one round. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. come up. We'll announce that. Oh, overachiever. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll announce that when we get that down the road. But very cool. Okay. Um, next week we had
1: Brad Waffa. He's joining us from Waffa House Reptiles. Uh should be a good show. Um, I think I'm trying to base – we're going to talk about a subject that um, – got to clear this with Brad, but hopefully this will be cool. We're going to talk about mites. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you dare
2: think speak their name?
1: <laughs> I think it's an oh, right. important topic, and I think that I've never heard a podcast talk in detail about it, and I think it would be oh. a good episode. Ugh. I know a lot of people question it. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it. Uh so I think that that's uh, something we're definitely going to have to go to. Uh Brad is a vet. Uh he was on GTP Keeper Radio, did a great job. We're also squeezing in some of uh condro talk and I know he works with Angolan pythons, so I'd like to hear his experiences with those. Uh okay. so that's next week. Um and then you know just check out the website com. Shout out to Carpet Python Uh, discussions uh, you can go over I'll put the links up definitely go over check out the group if you want to learn about carpet pythons it's a very cool place go ask questions Uh, anything the guys are real good over there and